And Merry Christmas, everybody! It is July the 9th, year 2011. I'm Ron Hughes. I'm back after spending the, the afternoon with Norman Corwin, and we'll talk about that later. All good stuff for your truly on that front. We got a live guest with Patricia. But first, we're going to say our prayer. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity of being on the station. Bless everything that goes on. Bless the listeners, the supporters. Thank you for the gifts we have. Bless those who are going through a lot of difficulties in their life, especially financially or emotionally or spiritually. Help those who need help, Lord. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, it's Christmas in July, and we are going to feature... One of the great shows of old-time radio, Lum and Abner. And it wouldn't be Christmas without the 1944 broadcast of the famous Christmas show. Here we go. Uh, Granny's Abner, I believe that's our ring. I don't get Lum, I believe you're right. Now, see. Hello, John M. Downstore. This is Lum and Abner. As we look in on the little community of Pine Ridge now, a picture of complete peace and contentment greets our eyes. It's a clear, still evening this Christmastide night, and the whole countryside is wrapped in a clean white blanket of snow, which is... ...in 1945. The little baby in yonder. Well, it's just like I've always said. Wait, wait a I believe somebody's coming to the door. Oh, maybe it's Doc. <laughs> Any news yet, Doc? Well, men... It's a fine baby boy. Frigidaire, a division of General Motors, takes you on a Christmas visit to Pine Ridge. And as we look in on the little community, a picture of complete peace and contentment greets our eyes. It's a clear, still evening. It's Christmas night, and the whole countryside is wrapped in a clean white blanket of snow, which has fallen rather heavily all day long. Here and there, along the deserted streets of the little village, we see an occasional home where the lights of a Christmas tree in the front window still twinkle in the dark of night. In the distance, we hear the bells of a sleigh as it cuts through the snow. And closer to us, we hear the spirited voices of some youthful carolers as they fill the air with Christmas melody. Their song sings its way into the parlor of the Peabody home, where we find Abner, Lum, Ben Withers, and Ezra Seastrunk. So I says to Miss Quincy, well, sure, it's high. But you try to get a Christmas tree anyplace else for less money, and wait, I... Wait a minute, Abner. Do you hear that? 
Uh-huh. Let's sing it. Can you hear it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I bound you some young'uns that sang at church this morning. Yeah, open the window so as we can hear them better. Let's open the window, Abner. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Doggy, look at that one little one out there. <laughs> I bound you he ain't over six year old. <laughs> Just fine, boys. That was awful pretty. Yeah, ask him to sing another, Abner. Uh, we'd just love to hear you sing another, and if you don't mind. Oh, well, hope they say no else. There's my favorite. Well, now the one I've always liked best is oh, that. Oh, wait a minute, Lum. I believe they got ideas of their own. There, that, that's the one. That's it. Well, keep quiet so that we can hear it. Then. And there we go. So you just heard Christmas in uh, 1944 and a little bit in 1948. Hello, Patricia. How are you?
program that you put together, and we're running the history of radio and TV, audio recording, film, radio, TV. You you even had the kids with their own TV production. Is that correct? Yes, we uh, we did television and radio, and uh, produced uh, a local program about the school district, which was called Carthage Schools Present, and. Uh, we uh, that has been going on since the 1950s uh, as radio as a radio program and for the past 30 years as a television program and that uh, continued until I left in January 2010. And this is Carthage Carthage High School, Carthage, in Texas. Carthage, Texas. Okay. Um, <laughs> you had to retire because you couldn't possibly fit everything together in a single day. I don't know how you managed it to begin with, but now you've really broadened. Well, they um, actually two people replaced me in that uh, position. We had gotten so efficient, and the kids who made up the crew were able to do so much work on their own. And many of them moved on into uh, to have careers in radio, television, and film. And so, oh, how neat! We're very proud of those kids and the department that uh, Carthage ISD allowed us to have. And you needed two people to replace you. That's what happened. That didn't get past me. That Either did I, not get past me. <laughs> you can look at that however you want to. <laughs> Either I didn't realize how much I was doing or uh -huh. I don't know. The, the overworked and underpaid routine uh, is alive be. and well. But well, Donna, uh, it went well also, for us. You also have a new feature at the website that we're going to be talking about in a little bit. You are drawing a comic strip, a Sunday comic strip for... Right. Which Arkansas newspaper is it, please? Uh, it's uh, firstarkansasnews.net. Okay. It's available online. In fact, uh, you can just type in firstarkansasnews.net, no spaces, and that will take you to the website. And you will find a wonderful Lum and Abner cartoon, Sunday cartoon. So you did the, the, do the full Sunday panel that people are accustomed to seeing right. with Blondie and Dagwood and gang um, and you've got all of those panels up there but you are also doing audio to make right. it and the reason for that is um, when we first announced this of course with the the National Lemon Abner Society we had a number of members who were blind and mm -hmm. they enjoy old-time radio as I'm sure you know I'm sure yesterday USA is a favorite uh, listening stop for many of the blind old-time radio fans and I heard from several of them who said, well, that's a great idea, but that leaves me out. And I mm. thought, well, no, it's not going to. You know, We're going to come up with something. And so I proposed to the editor, who is uh, Ethan Nobles, who will probably be calling in, that uh, you know, we can do something about that. We can put together an audio version, not just reading the panels, but uh, in, in a way trying to act out the story with sound effects and voices and music and modifying it a little bit so that uh, it makes sense so that the visual elements don't get lost. Well, you've you done good. <laughs> Any, anyone well, who has seen any of the Lemon Avenue movies knows what these two characters look like and the facial expressions that they displayed, the haughtiness and the, the sounds that are unique to Lum and Abner, you have captured the audio, the visual. It's just remarkable. Well, thank what, you. A, what a treat it is to, uh, to go and visit. And if, 
folks who are listening, if you don't do it, you're going to get a D on your report card. <laughs> Uh, because it really is a whole lot of fun. Now, we listened to the 1944 version of the what became the traditional Christmas show, and you sent me a clip of an interview with Chet Locke, who was one of the two people who right. became Lum and Abner. Could we start by your telling me and us how you developed a passion for Lum and Abner, and what made you decide to launch the National Lemon After Society? Well, I was interested in it um, as a as a kid in the early to mid '60s because I enjoyed uh, the corn comms, as some people call them now, the the rural situation comedies like Andy Griffith and uh, the Beverly Hillbillies and things like that, and and. Uh, my dad explained to me about Lum and Abner on the radio, and uh, I became interested that way and never thought I would be able to hear those programs, but then growing up I would hear other people in the family. My dad's family all came from Arkansas, and my mother's family came from East Texas. They all talked about listening to Lum and Abner, and uh, I thought, you know, I'd, I would love to hear that. And, and finally, thanks to uh, people like Dr. Joe Oliver at Stephen F. Austin State University, I was able to hear uh, on the campus radio station some Lum and Abner episodes and uh, just got hooked and got other friends interested. And it's one of those things, almost a word of mouth thing. It's like, hey, you know, here, I recorded this off the radio. Listen to this. You know, listen to this program. And uh, became really interested in the early 80s and started meeting people who were interested in uh, it led to a friendship with a gentleman named Sam Brown in Dongola, Illinois, and uh, then through the uh, Lumman Abner Museum in Pine Ridge, Arkansas, we met Tim Hollis of Dora, Alabama, and Tim was uh, younger than any of us, and he had the idea, let's form an organization or a club, and uh, Tim basically is the person who proposed the idea for the National Lumman Abner Society around 1983. And after about a year of planning and uh, thinking it might not work on my part, I, I was the first pessimist of the group. I'm the one that said, ah, forget it. No the way. I said, you're going to take all the fun resident, out of it. You're the president resident pessimist. Right. I'm the, the president pessimist. And uh, I, I told him, I said, it'll never work. You know, you're going to take all the fun out of it if you organize it. But uh, they persisted, and, and before I knew it, uh, I was being nominated or, or <laughs> I don't know I think they made me president so I'd be the fall guy if anything ever went wrong but uh so they said well, you know will you try to get permission for us to become official and uh, I spoke with uh, Chester Locke Jr. and he gave us permission and away we went. That is really remarkable um now so we're we're talking like uh, somewhere around 1985 84. 84. That was our official beginning, yes. Was was your sta was your dad still with you that he was able to know that you were so involved in this? He he was with us about three years into that, and he did know about it, and uh, unfortunately never got to attend one of the conventions, but he was aware of the Jot em Down Journal and some of the early contacts with uh, people like Roswell Rogers, the writer, and uh, uh, Clarence Hartzell, who played Ben Withers, on Lum and Abner and Uncle Fletcher on Vic and Sade. So he was aware of some of that. 
that is a whole lot of fun to know because he really was your beginning with Love and Abner, and it's, yes. it's fun that he knew you had picked it up and, and kept running with it. Tell me about the... Well, you went to a 1985 Lum and Abner convention. Yes, that was our first convention. That was your first. You didn't go. You coordinated and created it. Right. We started those in, in 85. Who did you meet at that particular event? Um, in a, well, in addition to uh, some of the our early members who attended for the first time, we had uh, their head writer, Roz Rogers, as a, our one of our guests, and then we had Clarence Hartzell, who was I mentioned earlier that played Ben Withers on the show. They were our first two celebrity guests. I love it. This was an anniversary year as well, 2011. Yes. Talk to me about the anniversaries um, and Pine. It was an anniversary of not only the show but Pine Ridge as well. Yes, that's right. Uh, this this year was uh, the 80th anniversary. For the for Lum and Abner for their first broadcast from KTHS Radio Hot Springs Arkansas, which shortly after that uh, they went to the network and uh, were on the air until 1954, and it was also the 75th anniversary of Waters Arkansas, which changed which officially changed its name to Pine Ridge. So uh, there was a dual anniversary, same day as a matter of fact they had the name change ceremony on um, April 26th, which was the, the same day that the show had first aired. Uh-huh. Now, for anyone who could possibly have missed what a Lumen Abner is, Lumen Abner was a, a, a couple who ran an old country store called the Jot'em Down Store in Pine Ridge, Arkansas. And the setting was actually authentic. They picked townspeople, um, Chester Locke and Norris Goff, who were Lum and Abner, picked actual townspeople to become characters within this marvelous collection of series. It, it was a series of series for years and years and years. So would you talk a little bit about the town and about the people and how these people wound up being incorporated into the shows themselves? Okay. Uh, there's a, there is a lot more detail on this uh, at the National Lemon Abner Society website. Um, Which is? Uh, it's uh, www.com lumandabnersociety.org and if folks go there uh, I would invite them to click on news which is one of the navigation links and that will take you to the online Jot'em Down Journal which is our online version of our printed publication which we no longer do but there are articles there on the anniversaries that will go into uh, a lot of detail <laughs> but very simply uh, I can tell you that uh, uh, Locke and Goff were friends with a gentleman named Dick uh, Huddleston. Dick Huddleston ran a general store in Waters, Arkansas. And because they worked with him and uh, their parents uh, knew Mr. Huddleston, um, they did encounter a lot of people and a lot of situations that would inspire the Lum and Abner program. So it was Mr. Huddleston who headed the effort to have the name of Waters changed to Pine Ridge on the program's sixth anniversary. 
So uh, that's how that all came about. And uh, Chet Locke and Tuffy Goff actually played all the parts of their characters for many years. Uh, occasionally they would add some outside actors, but the core cast was always portrayed by Locke and Goff. I should have asked when you first came on the phone if Grandpappy was there. Is Grandpappy there with you? <laughs> You're asking me to do one of the voices, I think, sure. aren't you? Well, now, first, let me say that I don't claim to be uh, an expert on these voices. Oh, go ahead and claim to, it. Uh, It'll work. But uh, them pigeon-toed voices don't quite come easy for me, and I think Grandpap is one of the ones I don't do too good, but I'll try. <laughs> That's great. Which character is, do you think, your best that you can do? Oh, gosh. Um... You know, the way we got into that was with uh, our conventions when we would have someone who worked with Lum and Abner, mm -hmm. and we would, would want to do a script. We never could find anybody uh, who was willing to try to do the voices, and so Tim Hollis and Sam Brown and I tried to do them our, ourselves. And, you know, we would always tell people, look, we're not trying to say that we are as good as Lum and Abner. We're just doing these characters to give our guest star a chance to perform. But uh, I would suppose that the uh, character that I always enjoy the most might be Squire Skimp. I don't know why. It just may be that he is a con man, as you know, and uh, perhaps I might be able to uh, con you out of a little money. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> I think the what? telephone adds something to the, <laughs> the sound. Tell him, please, about the phone that you're on. Pardon me? Tell, please tell about the phone oh, it's, that you're uh, on. It's called a country store telephone. It's not an antique, but it's a reproduction. And uh, we bought it simply because it, it does resemble the type of telephone that Lum and Abner use, only it has a more contemporary uh, uh, handset. Well, by grannies, it sounds great to me. <laughs> Good stuff. Tell me about the beginning of the show. When did it start? How did it get kicked off? Um, I know that they came together, um, Locke and Goff came together, and it was almost a, a pickup-type routine that they did for a benefit, and it kind of grew from there. Would you tell that story? That's, that's the way we've heard that story many times, and we've heard this in interviews and, and in articles, was that they were associated, as, as, even as children and young men growing up, and they had this amazing talent to ad-lib and entertain their friends, and uh, they were entertaining for uh, flood relief, to raise money for a flood, for flood victims, and it led them to be invited to be on the radio in Hot Springs. And the story that's often told is that they, they went over with the idea of doing uh, an Amos and Andy type act, because that was so popular on radio. But when they got there, they found that all of the, uh, the local talent basically we're doing the same thing. And so they said, no, I said, let's, let's do something different. You know, they're all doing the same kind of act. And on the spur of the moment, they decided to do uh, rural characters. And as they tell the story, the announcer said, what's the name of your act? And Chet said, uh, call me Lum. And Tuffy said, well, call me Abner. And they announced Lum and Abner. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's, they've told that story many, many times. And, uh, they were well-received, and I think after several weeks, someone uh, helped them get uh, an audition in Chicago. And they auditioned and were picked up by Quake Roats and went on the NBC radio network. 
according to one report, they were on NBC Red and Blue. So they had uh, really good coverage to start out. And this was an amateur team that just happened on the scene right. at the right time with the right people. They were in the right place at the right time. One of those, one of those lucky breaks. My gosh. <laughs> but, uh, and the amazing thing, of happened. course, they had the talent. <clears throat> you know, you when you listen to the routines they did and, and how they could almost read each other's minds and create the illusion of a room full of people mm-hmm. uh, in some of those routines, I mean, they definitely had the talent. So, yes, they were in the right place at the right time, but they also had the right ability. They had a terrific handle on the countrified side of America and right. the ability to do a sophisticated routine, even though it sounded country bumpkin. Right. It was very sophisticated, a, a sophisticated presentation. This was not, um, I, don't, I don't know how to put this, it, it, to create a show of that caliber and of that authenticity didn't just happen. It right. took two very special people to do it. Oh, yes, absolutely. How about the script writing? Did they, in fact, begin without scripts? That's the story we've heard, is that they started strictly ad-libbing. They might have a general idea, and then they would take off. And um, as, I, as, as each of them has said in the past, they felt they could almost read each other's minds, and uh, they could almost complete each other's sentences because they were as close as you know a couple of brothers. They were just very, very close friends, as well as uh, uh, working partners. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, I believe it was uh, Mrs. Locke one time when we visited with her before she passed away said that it was almost eerie, said that uh, Chet and Tuffy could have been apart after they retired. They might have been apart for a couple of years, but as soon as they were back together, they were in sync again. You know, one could say two or three words and the other would pick up, you know, they'd carry on a whole conversation and no one in the room would understand what they were talking about <laughs> because they were, you know, they knew exactly what the other meant uh-huh. and they could, you know, second guess each other. So they, uh, they had that kind of intuitive uh, working relationship. Really quite remarkable. Um, which characters did each of them play? Well, Tuffy was uh, Abner and Squire Skimp and Mousy Gray. Uh, he was uh, Ulysses S. Quincy. He was uh, Doc Miller. And then there were some other ones. Uh, he even took over a part that was originated by Jerry Hausner, if you've ever heard of the actor Jerry Hausner, who uh-huh. did cartoon voices. He was on I Love Lucy. He did lots of lots of things. Well, he also played a lot of characters for them when he was available, and he started a character named Spud Gandle, who was a little tough guy, and um, had to leave uh, to go on tour with a play. Well, they needed Spud in the show, and Tuffy just jumped right in and played Spud Gandle. So, uh, very talented gentleman. And then uh, Chet was Lum, and Grandpappy Spears, and Cedric Weehunt, uh, Snake Hogan, and there are probably other characters who appeared from time to time that I'm leaving out, but uh, I think those were the basic uh, important characters. Can you do the Abner Peabody honk? Huh? Yeah, that one. <laughs> well, I do try it, but you know, I can't do them all, but I have to try. It's <laughs> so good. I think that is probably the part of Abner's speech that makes me laugh the most. <clears throat> 
He, he just has this one sound, and he can say yeah. an entire world of thoughts and ideas with <laughs> that one. Right. Huh? <laughs> good, good stuff. How about the characters that were borrowed from Waters and the, the town that eventually became Pine Ridge? You had Sister Simpson, for example. You know, I don't, um, I don't have all that memorized, I'm sorry to say, but I can tell you exactly where to go. Uh, the uh, Lemon Abner Museum in Pine Ridge, Arkansas, is operated by Lon and Kathy Stucker, and uh, I don't know, Walden may be able to get to that link before I can even find it, because I don't, I don't memorize websites well, but um, they do have a lot of information on that. Uh, and let's see, their website is www.lum hyphen, then the letter N hyphen Abner dot com. And of course, you could do a Google search or you can find the link on our website. But there were, there were people who were photographed on postcards, which are still available there at the, lot of, at the Lum and Abner Museum. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a gentleman named Kling Wilhite, who was... Uh, known as Uncle Kling, but uh, it was said that Grandpappy Spears was based on him, and in fact he was he appeared as Grandpappy Spears when they changed the name of Waters to Pine Ridge and actually spoke on the air. And uh, there were several other people whose photographs appear in the, the postcards and in a little book that was published in the early 30s called Lemon Abner and Their Friends from Pine Ridge. There was a gentleman named Lasker Goebel, who uh, was said to be Cedric. And uh, we met uh, a few of the folks who were still living in the early 80s. Um, a gentleman named Ora Garrett was the barber. And uh, his I'll, I'll never forget him sitting in his barber chair and, and announcing to us, I'm Mose Moots. <laughs> we said, yes, sir. <laughs> we didn't take, you know, we didn't argue. Yes, yes, you are. You are. <laughs> He was very, very uh, proud of that fact and lived in Pine Ridge all of his life. So if there was a Moe's Moots in Pine Ridge, it was Mr. Garrett. He was it. And now, then, you've uh, pretty much his answered... uh, sister-in-law was uh, said to be the lady uh, who was used as the basis for Evelina Schultz. And she was still living at the time we first visited. And I believe there were others, and uh, possibly we didn't get to meet them all. Uh, one person who was uh, fascinating who was mentioned on the show many times, was Ethel Huddleston, Dick Huddleston's daughter. Mm -hmm. She lived to be somewhere in her 90s, and every year that we, we went there, she was always there, always very friendly, and invited us to her home and would speak about her dad and uh, just a delightful lady. I never picked up a hint in anything that I have read or anyone I've talked with. We had a chance to talk with Kathy Stucker at Christmas time oh. this past year. Um, and I never picked up a hint from anybody that the townspeople were anything other than very happy or very proud that they or their personalities were borrowed to create these characters. I, you're right. I've never heard anything uh, otherwise myself. Did they write all of their own shows? They did until about 1941. Um, Chet and Tuffy, their, their writing arrangement was that, um, well, first of all, they were told by a sponsor, I think when they hit Chicago, all right, we want to see your first script. And this would have been the Quaker Oats people or someone associated maybe with the network. They, they had, to do, uh, had to present a script before they went on the air. 
And they looked at each other, uh-oh. And uh, I think possibly had to rent a typewriter or something, but the story goes that they spent about 22 hours writing that first script because they didn't know the first thing about how to do it. They had just ad-libbed. And uh, after that, of course, it, they realized, you know, we're, we're, we're working too hard at this. And they came up with a system that worked really well. Chet would type, and he types the way I do with only his index fingers. <laughs> and uh, he would do the typing, and he always typed from left border to right border, I mean, just straight across the page. Uh, this, the scripts are incredible if, if you can ever get to see one of the original scripts. And, of course, they would do probably one carbon, maybe uh, maybe three, I don't know. But I think maybe one carbon is all they needed so that one of them would have a copy. And Tuffy would paste the floor. And, uh, you know, he would throw out his dialogue and he would think and Chet would say, okay, Lum's going to say whatever, type, 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 type. And, you know, that's how they would do it. Tuffy was constantly pacing. Chet was hammering it down on paper. And they did that until... Um, they uh, started uh, their movies, and of course they were they were shooting the movies by day, and then they would have to sometimes have a temporary uh, studio set up there at the uh, soundstage to do their broadcast at night. So they uh, found a very talented young man by the name of Roswell B. Rogers, who had written for several radio programs in the late 30s, and uh, he observed for a while and would you know sit in and discuss storylines with them and after a while they said Roz take it and he was able to uh, to write the scripts for about 10 years and uh, sometimes he would write the script at home and drive it to the studio and hand it to them almost you know minutes before they went on the air sometimes they didn't get to read through it so how, uh, how close were the shows that they aired to the scripts that were written for them uh, they they were they wrote loose because uh, they never if you read one of their scripts you could probably get through it in eight or nine minutes it varies from script to script uh, I've heard sometimes they would run out of time and just rush into the studio and say okay you know they would have an, an agreement on how it would end <laughs> and they would just ad lib the rest of it and the system they worked out is that Chet. In fact, their family has the stopwatch. Chet had a stopwatch, or he would watch a clock on a wall, depending on the situation, and they would usually time their last page. They knew how long the last page would take, and they knew when they needed to reach the last page. So if they came to uh, the next to last page, and they looked at Chet looked at the stopwatch, and he thought, gee whiz, we're two minutes short, then that was the, the time to go into an ad lib of some kind. And... Uh, then when it got to be time, okay, you know, whoever started the ad lib had to get back into the script. That was their rule. Ah, and, uh, okay. We had heard a couple of different versions of how this competition was supposed to be going, but that sounds a whole lot better than some of the other things that we've heard, that when they did start to ad lib or stray from the script, mm -hmm. the person who did the first move had to be the final move to get them back on that's, track. Right, that's what we understood. Um, in fact, Clarence Hartzell told us one time that uh, Tuffy Goff had something happen, had a very important telephone call, could not get off the telephone in time for the broadcast, and, well, naturally they were on live. And this is when he was playing Ben Withers on the show. So he and Chet simply started ad-libbing, 
and um, I don't know, five, six minutes into the program, Tuffy comes rushing in, and Chet, you know, says, okay, okay, and then they find a way to work him back into the script, and uh, either either they finish the script or they left it in such a way that they could make it up the next day. Of course, if they were doing two broadcasts for East Coast and West Coast, that could present a problem. So, <laughs> <laughs> but they always were able to work that out. And whereas it would, I think it would send some actors into a tremendous panic. Uh, you know, the larger programs with a full cast and an orchestra and all of that, it didn't phase them a bit. <laughs> Do you know if there were times when the East Coast broadcast and the West Coast broadcast were dramatically different from each other? Yes, I, I think so. Uh, because we know we've heard one or two, uh, the, the infamous one where I think they were broadcasting from Chicago. Uh, and, in fact, their young producer is a gentleman named Forrest Owen, who may have been with on your program before. I'm not, I'm not sure, but he was one of our convention guests. And he was working for... Um, the company that represented Miles Laboratories, uh, their sponsor. And he remembers um, sitting in on a show in Chicago where they either transported their sound effect equipment or borrowed some. They needed the sound of the door opening and closing. And uh, at one time, Chet Locke did the sound effects for that, and he either pulled too hard or a sound effects uh, person did. The door fell over, and they had to ad-lib their way around that, and there was some confusion as to as to which character was actually in the store. I think Abner was arriving, and he called him. He called Grandpap Lum, and it was supposed to be Grandpap or, or something like that, and, and several places in that program you hear a lot of laughter, and they have to ad-lib around why they're laughing. <laughs> now, the laughter was coming from the, the rest of the crew coming and Coming from Locke actors. and Goff. Oh, the two of them. Chet and Tuffy were laughing, and Chet uh, especially admitted one time that if he ever got tickled on the air, <laughs> it was hard for him to get back into character. And uh, he, they both broke up on this show. Uh, if I could pinpoint the exact date, I think it may be 1945, but uh, it's hilarious. Well, it won't be painful for me to go through every 1945 show that I have. I can send you the exact date. I just don't have it memorized, but it's one of the funniest programs I've ever heard. If you come across it and you do have a date, yes, please I, forward yes, it. Yes, I can. I can tell you the exact date. Yeah, please forward it, and we'll make sure that the listeners get yes. to have it as well. And, uh, and Many of them may know the exact program I'm talking about. I hope so, because it's one I haven't heard yet. You know, there are so many shows, and it went for so many years, yes. that I tend to listen to individual series. Right. So I'll listen to um, the Marriage Bureau, the Matrimonial mm. Bureau that they send, and when uh, it was a wonderful world with uh, Diogenes Smith. Oh, yes. Those, those kinds. What, which segments, or I guess they, it's a series of series, it just went from one set of series into right. another. I have two questions then. My first one was going to be, which are your favorite series? Mm -hmm. But that begs the question, did they have a beginning and an end in these series that they put together? And in the middle, they had to weave toward the end. Or did they handle it in a different way? Do you mean each... Uh each continuity, did it have a beginning yeah, and an yeah, end? Yeah, well, let's take um, Diogenes Smith, for example, the person who ostensibly came to town looking for right. an honest man. Uh -huh. They had a beginning, 
did they know how long it was going to take to get to the end, and did they know what the end was going to be in that series? You know, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't think I've actually figured out how many episodes there are per continuity. I don't think they were assigned a specific number. I don't think uh, a producer said, now you can't do this for more than a month. Mm -hmm. uh, I think they were free to do what they chose and to let the stories unwind as they as they chose for them, too. Of course, you know, they had to bear in mind, I'm sure they had 13-week contracts and that sort of thing to deal with. <clears throat> so um, possibly there were some some continuities that started and stopped based on those contracts, but that's a good question. I don't know the exact answer to that. And I think sometimes there are um, continuities that overlap. Um, yes. There, you know, there are little mini situations that develop sometimes between longer continuities. So mm -hmm. I really think they just kind of went with the flow, to be honest with you. They, they knit it, themselves. It sort of lent itself to a natural uh, timing. Yeah. I, I had never even, until you and I are talking just now, I had never even thought that there might have been some constraints that we didn't know about or no constraints that we didn't know about. Possibly, as they possibly from... only ending of contracts or occasionally yeah. when they took a vacation. Um, of course, sometimes they wrote the vacation into the storyline. <laughs> now, when you say contracts, 13 weeks, is that typical of what was happening in radio at the time? Yes, I, I believe it. I believe so. I believe most uh, sponsor contracts were were set up in terms of uh, or in periods of thirteen weeks. Uh, I'm sure there are other people who know more about that than I do, but that's the figure I've heard most often. Uh huh. Because if you divide, yeah, that, it sounds scary. Yeah, if you uh, well, that kept them it kept them on their toes. You know, yeah. the ratings went down, and and in those days, basically the sponsors ruled. You know, they owned it. There were a lot of tobacco companies, as you know, that basically rule the airwaves, more mm -hmm. or less. Uh, you're familiar with the Christmas show that Walden played before we got on the air together? Yes. When did the Christmas tradition begin? That was 1933. It was 1933. I said that out loud to Walden, and I thought, gosh, no, that sounds awfully far back. But 1933, and it continued until when? As far as I know... Uh, the last new performance would have been 1953, because uh, I believe it was the summer of 54 when they did their last uh, radio broadcast. But of course, uh, there were a lot of stations that reran it. You know, it's it's been rerun all through the years. Right. Uh, it's run on Yesterday USA frequently, mm -hmm. even. Christmas in July. We, right. <laughs> we ran it at Christmas in July. We're talking with Johnny Pitchford, who is president of the National Lumen Abner Society. He is also a master cartoonist and a wonderful voiceover artist who has these the Lumen Abner characters and all of the characters that um, Chet Bach and Tuffy Goff created with Lemon Abner. You've got them all down just perfectly, just well, beautifully. I appreciate that. I don't particularly agree with you, but well, I appreciate it. it. Well, uh, I'm, you, I'm just you, hoping that it's it's they're passable enough to uh, to help people who are unable to view the strip to uh, understand what's going on. They, they are quite passable, and we're going to play a clip of one in, in just a few minutes. But we were talking about the, the Christmas show. Yes. Um, I, I can get us off track. Please keep me on track. I can, I can go off in so many different directions. You're such a wonderful person to talk with. Well, thank you. The Christmas show that 
Walden played at the outset was the traditional show that carried through for 20 years, you said. Mm-hmm. It played for at least 20 years. And it was something that began not so deliberately, but it happened, and it happened beautifully. So we have a, the um, piece of the interview with Chet Locke that you forwarded to us for us to listen to, and it deals specifically with the creation of the first Christmas show. Walden, do you have that available? Here we go. just want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. This is Grandpappy Spears doing the talking. Hi, Granny. I'll drink to that. Uh, yes, Mom, me too. Mr. Locke, this is 1968. The Christmas program, uh, if it were still on the air, would be about 35 years old. Uh, what are your general feelings about that particular show? Well, I think the our traditional Christmas show was perhaps the nicest thing I'm an Abner ever did with no attempt at comedy. It was a serious thing. But at least uh, we had enough requests in the early years that we, we were inclined to repeat it. And after that, we found that was an easy way to prepare our Christmas program, so we repeated it voluntarily. We were broadcasting out of Cleveland, Ohio at that time. Our sponsor was the Ford Motor Company. And uh, I remember the day we wrote it was Christmas Eve. And uh, most ever, most of the staff was taking the day off, observing the holiday, and just had a skeleton staff around the WTAM studios in Cleveland. And uh, a few of them dropped by our office. We had an office right in the studio at that time. And uh, we had several interruptions. Thank you for being with us today. Do you have any final comments to make before we... 
broadcast the Christmas program. I'll say this, uh, the very end of that show, I never went off the air without tears running down my face. I don't know why I could not do that show without almost bawling. Wow. 1967 or 68, right, Donnie? 68, I think, yeah. Wow. Was that 1968, was station, uh, you said it was K-A-A-Y. I believe so, yes. That broadcast it, but Walden, did you recognize the interviewer's voice? No, it's, it's, I bet if I was doing a double air check and look up, I bet I could figure it out, but it, the voice was familiar, but I... Was that George Jennings, perhaps? It, it, it sure sounds like it. Okay. Sure sounds like it. Because I, I think he's the one who did a number of interviews and, uh... I'll try to check on that for you. Okay, that yeah, sounds familiar to me. Yeah, cause I, when you when when he sent it, I thought it might have been uh, Eddie Hubbard right off the bat when I heard the voice. Okay, he heard you know, a lot of radio interviews in the '60s huh. that floating around. But what I heard, it, I said, nope, that's not Eddie Hubbard. So, uh, but I think you would be pretty close, Donnie. It'd be my guess. Well, Squire, what do you think of the Christmas show? Well, I was a little offended that I was not allowed to be present. I could have probably sold them some oil for that oil heater, you know. <laughs> and hay for the manger. I was thinking about hay for the manger. It was really nice of you not to do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Tony, do you know of any other program that had that kind of command with an audience that demanded or requested a repeat of a show that, for that many years? Amos and Andy also had uh, a classic Christmas episode that you may have heard with uh, Amos uh, uh, mm -hmm. reciting the Lord's Prayer or explaining the Lord's Prayer to his little girl. His little girl, Arbidella, yeah. Right, yes, that's the one. And In fact, that even made it into television. Now, how many years did that one run? Do you have any idea? The Amos and Andy? Uh-huh. I, I don't have those. Uh, I'm sure there are people out there who know more than I do about that, obviously. But uh, it was... They would have, sure had a long run as well. It started out in '39 as uh, Amos reading the Lord's Prayer under the Christmas tree, and then they twitched it with the daughter in 1940. Oh, okay. 1940. And how so many you years mean, after uh, that? Lemon Abner beat them to the punch. Oh yeah. Ah, yeah. Nice to know. Yeah, but yeah, because uh, uh, Elizabeth McLeod, what they, I remember seeing it posted on the old time, and she did a great history about the Christmas um, origin of Amos and Andy. So I was surprised when I saw it. That really, uh, Lorman Avenue had him beat by six or seven years with that concept. That's great. Yeah. Well, you know, there are a lot of people, too, who used to claim that the uh, character of Cedric Weehunt was uh, copied from or based on Mortimer Snurd or Walt Disney's Goofy. Oh, no whatever. kidding. But actually, if I'm not mistaken, he came first. I think Cedric was the first character in that, that he, group. He was more endearing. Right. And had a lot more down-home folksy common sense than he would have, you know, give, give a little bit of um, Cedric Weehunt. <laughs> well, I can try, yes, Mom. I don't do Cedric that good either, but I do try. <laughs> you do Cedric very well. Uh, now, he sounds like the, the stereotypical country bumpkin. Right. But he really did have a good heart, good reasoning for him. Sure. I mean, he always had, he, he did nothing willy-nilly. He always right. had a solid reason for doing things. He was the Gracie Allen of, uh, of, of Roman Abner. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. You know, Gracie did stupid stuff. <laughs> Cedric Weehunt might not have been the brightest bulb in the chandelier, but he always had a good reason for doing something. 
Well, and not only that, but, you know, he, I think every one of us has known a Cedric Weehunt uh-huh. in our lifetime. And there's always somebody who is very much like Cedric. And if you look closely enough, there's something or a series of things that person is able to do that will amaze you. You know, and yeah. Cedric had that ability. You know, Cedric had a lot of talent that, uh, whether it was uh, making his old car run or, uh, you know, working with his dad in the blacksmith shop or whatever, I mean, there, Cedric had real ability, just like mm-hmm. a, it's like a real person. Mm-hmm. And uh, we would laugh because he was unable to uh, get out of the third reader in school, but, you know, that didn't really matter. Um, during the war, Cedric went to work at the war plant. You know, Cedric was... Uh, He's the kind of guy you like to have in the community. You know, he might take some kidding from some of the townspeople, but if if uh, ever a person needed a helping hand or needed a, a burned-down barn rebuilt, Cedric was there. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a solid citizen. He, he, he was, was a guy. lot more than just uh, like a Mortimer Snurd or a. Yeah, geek. he was. He was not stupid and ditzy. Right. He was uneducated in in most sense, but he was people educated. Sure. Right. Yeah. The, the, the characters are, are far more realistic than I think just a casual listener would grasp yeah. at first. Yeah. Do you yeah. think, uh, Walden? I'm I'm stepping on you. Yeah, Do you well, have a question? Yeah, I have a quick question, Donnie. Yes. Um, give me the timeline roughly where they made the move. They they moved to Chicago in '31, right? Did you say the movies? You know, when, when did they make their moves in radio? They, they moved to Chicago first, right? Chicago in 31. When did they move to Hollywood? They, they moved to Dallas-Fort Worth uh, not long after that. Really? They, yes, they fell on some hard time, actually. Oh, that's right. The uh, Quaker Oats contract, which started a, out as a national sponsorship, actually dwindled to uh, strictly... A Dallas-Fort Worth uh, situation, if you're familiar with WBAP, WFAA yes, yes. in Dallas, how they had to share the same frequency. frequency. It was a strange deal, but um, um, they actually ended up at one point broadcasting only from WBAP and lost their sponsorship. They were sustaining and had to live on the income they made from selling the little book, uh, Lum and Abner and their friends from Pine Ridge. That didn't last long because then they were picked up by the Ford Dealers of America, which is when they went to Cleveland in uh, 32, 33 in that era. Uh And then around 34, I may be off a year or so here, 34, 35, of course, they uh, were picked up by Horlick's Malted Milk from 35, 36, 37, I believe. And I think it was in 38 uh, they moved to... Uh, to Hollywood. So, and, so were they in Ohio for all that time? Uh, they were in Ohio for a short time and then back to Chicago, okay, I believe, okay. with Horlicks. Okay. I think that's right. I'm, I'm sorry. That I, makes sense, yeah. Okay. Dabner said I jumped the track on you there. And yeah. I don't have those dates in my, my mind. Uh, somebody like Tim Hollis would probably be did, able to tell you bang, bang, bang. Yeah. Did they make the move to Hollywood because of movies like, just like Phil McGee and Molly? Was that the reason why? I think that was the, uh, I think that was the reason, uh, and it took a couple of years. Uh, they were in Hollywood by 38 and entertaining, I think, the idea of films. But it was 1940 uh, when they actually did go into films. And that, it prob- that was probably with the sponsorship as well. Mm-hmm. When they was uh, began to be sponsored by uh, uh, General Foods, when Got they it. were with uh, Postum, 
rather. Postum was their sponsor at that time. And in fact, I think the first Postum show was broadcast from Hollywood, I believe, because I think Lou Crosby, who was their announcer for several years, kicked that program off. So maybe that explains why we only have the transcription starting from about 35, because it was such a local show for many, the first several right, years. What would happen, um, the reason that happened, and I think those start in January 35, I would have to look at, those Those are actually in our archives, those all the, the shows with the Horlicks commercials were actually Lum and Abner Society discoveries. Right. But uh, they were transcribed and they were distributed uh, on a substance called Vitrolac, which was uh, just like a pressed uh, record, basically, the 16-inch transcription disc, because they were not nationally uh, being broadcast by a network at that time. Uh, in fact, they were one of the programs that was used in the early bargaining for the beginning of the mutual network. Mm. And as they added more stations and more stations, um, finally, of course, when they were national again, there was no reason to circulate recordings to the non-network stations. So same thing happened in the 40s when they went with the Blue Network. As you know, the ABC, or rather NBC Blue didn't have the coverage that NBC Red had. And so the Keystone Transcription Network was formed, and that distributed the programs to all of the non-network stations. So um, as a result, a lot of those survived. Can I notice on ABC in 46 over ABC when ABC was, you know, started recording with Bing Crosby and uh, mm-hmm. Abbott Costello was over there in Robin Abner. So... Um, did they did they try to record? Did they did they make the same uh, deal like Bing Crosby were, did? I think there were a few times when they did transcribe for one reason or another, because I know at the end of some program they will announce that it is a transcribed program. I know the end of the series. Uh, the, I don't know how many weeks it was, but there are several discs that we discovered that uh, we didn't know what they were. They had no labels. <laughs> Oh. So we had to figure it out. But the end of the Alka-Seltzer series was not uh, on those Keystone transcriptions. They were actually on CBS uh, acetates. And uh, what we think was being done is they were recording the first broadcast and simply playing it back rather than doing a second live broadcast. Now, Thankfully, th- those existed. Was Keystone their own syndication company, or was that a... I think Keystone provided a number of programs. I don't know how okay. many different programs, but they were the uh, the company that distributed Lum and Abner for um, Miles Laboratories uh, during those years. Got it. While they were... If you lived in an area that had a blue affiliate, right. or later ABC, you could hear them live, but right. the folks on the Keystone network would have to hear them maybe a couple of weeks later. Hmm. Interesting. How many movies did they make, Donnie? A total of um, seven. Seven movies. Yes, I'm sorry. I went a little brain brain dead on you there. And and, and that's not including the one you wrote about. Right, the fake one, right. Well, I, I want to tell you, um, folks, Donnie did a piece on the website, the... Um, Nas- tell me what the website is, nationallumandabnersociety.org. It, yes, it's... Uh, www.lumandabnersociety.org. Oh, forget the national. Okay. Well, you did a piece, of, it was about a year ago, uh, maybe it not was, quite a year uh, ago. April 1st. 
April 1st, is that what April, it was? April, April 1st. April, oh, oh, silly me, of course it was April 1st. It was an April Fool joke. Yes. <laughs> except I was fooled. <laughs> I'm usually a little bit sharper than that, but geez, <laughs> you are so good. He wrote this article about a, a, an extra movie having just been discovered and went through the explanation of how it came about and what props were used and... You got me until I got It was totally bogus. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was an absolutely bogus article, and I thought, you know, they did such screwy things in Hollywood at the time. And, you know, I mean, when, when a spaceship can go to Mars and it's an empty can of peas on a string that's traveling through space, I, I suppose a Hoover vacuum cleaner might work. You know, <laughs> there was actually a precedent set for that in one of the Lemon Abner movies. Uh-huh. Uh, in um, two weeks to live, you know they they uh, they they tried to do a stunt where they needed to raise money to get back from Chicago to Pine Ridge, and um, there was a nutty professor who was trying to send somebody to Mars, and uh, it ended up being Lum in the last reel. Okay, so you you got me even twice by having borrowed a little bit of reality. <laughs> and transpose it into a different medium, and I and you got I, I think that's where I got the visuals for that article. Well, they were good. <laughs> it, uh, if you, well, anyone anyone who's familiar with Ed Wood movies and knows Plan Nine from Outer Space probably caught on from the silly title, because I changed it. Uh, I borrowed a line from uh, Ben Withers, who was uh, uh, played by Clarence Hartzell who was on the show, uh-huh. and Ben is one of those guys that, uh, no matter what you said, he had one response most of the time. You could say, Ben, you better watch out. There's a pine tree about to fall on you. And he would say, fine. Fine. So instead oh, of plan nine, I had plan fine from outer space. Got it. Well, and, uh, yeah. I just, I just had some fun with that. And, you know, I actually made a couple of people mad. Well, I wasn't mad, but I <laughs> thought said, you did. don't do that with Lum and Abner. Oh, gosh. Oh, my gosh. Well, you can't please everybody. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I just thought you'd get a kick out. I know I'm a reasonably intelligent woman. You, even Even Walden will tell you that. I am reasonably intelligent. <laughs> but I'm so trusting. <laughs> I just couldn't believe that uh, something on a Lum and Abner website wouldn't be true. Well, only that. <laughs> Everything else is totally factual, I'm sure. That was the only one. Now, I have a question about movies versus radio. Yes. After people saw Lumen Abner in person performing in the movies, did it hamper or change their perception of the characters on radio in any way? I think it depends on the individual because I know that I have heard from people, and if if this if these people are listening, please don't think I'm being critical in any way. I'm just explaining. Uh, I can compare this to the comic strip. There are people who are so uh, in tune with the radio show, they have their own mental image of how the characters should look and walk, their facial expressions and so forth, mm-hmm. that many people just could not tolerate the movies uh, because of that um and you know it just wasn't the same to them it just didn't fit the mental image mm-hmm. and uh, i know that there are some critics of the comic strip that say you know i i appreciate what you're doing but i just don't think i can read it because that's not the way i see them so i'm sure it depended on the individual yeah and it, it, even when i watch the movies i can enjoy the movies but to me 
it's not the true Lum and Abner, even though it's Chester Locke and Norris Goff, mm -hmm. there's still something a little bit askew. There's something missing. And uh, they did the best job they could. And yeah. it's not, you know, it, they're not controlling the story uh, and every aspect of it as they did when they sat down for... Yeah, so not, it's just a little different. They they didn't have the liberty of ad libbing right. like they were accustomed to. Right. Hello, Carl. You're on the air. Walden, Patricia, it's Dan from Corden, Indiana. How are you doing, Dan? Dan? I'm about burnt up because of her reenactment, but uh, doing well otherwise. Have a Lum and Abner question. I've run across a uh, audio clip from a radio station here in Louisville. It was the 50,000 watt WHS uh, radio station. And I'm reading verbatim, and I sent Patricia in your email as a uh, link to this clip. But it says, in, in this 1939 WHS broadcast, the famous Lum and Abner grant honorary Pine Ridge University degrees uh, were given to Happy Chandler and other Kentucky, Kentucky dignitaries. Now, what has happened, it seems like there's about a two-minute clip with, local, with a local um, host, and then... There's like a clip played from Lum and Abner. Did they give honorary degrees from Pine Ridge University? Yes, uh, that was a series in 1939. I think mm -hmm. the only uh, episode I have heard, aside from one similar to what you mentioned, mm -hmm. there's a Jack Benny episode that mm -hmm. Erdvac has available that uh, where he comes to Pine Ridge to receive his honorary degree. Uh, mm -hmm. So that was, I, I know they had a storyline going there. Unfortunately, there are not many, uh, I think that may be the only full episode that's available is one from 1939. Mm -hmm. uh, Patricia, I sent you that clip in the in an email so you can play that. Um, it's uh, kind of interesting. It's pretty localized. Uh, you know, it's the governor had been you know, given an honorary degree, Happy Chandler, former baseball commissioner. Um, but uh, you might want to pass it along. and uh, I will do that. Yeah, yeah, sounds great. All right, well, it's been a pleasure listening, and um, I will continue listening for a while, and I will be in touch. Okay, we'll talk to you later. Thank you, Dan. Sure, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Talking with Donnie Pitchford, who is president of the National Lum and Abner Society, cartoonist, Voiceover artist, you are so good. I know you you just kind of shuffle your feet a little bit and scuff the sand with your toe, but by golly, you are good. Awesome. So call in with questions or comments. Woman Abner Expert is here with us, 714-545-2071. Um, I have, I, as you were talking about Postum and Horlicks earlier, it's that it, it was a bit unusual to have a show that was so tightly associated with a non-coffee drink to be picked up by a sponsor of a non-coffee drink. Did they make that transition? Okay, let's do the caller first. Hello there, Carl. You're on air. Hello, uh, this is Kenneth Smith, and uh, I'm friends with Donnie. And uh, I have a question. Um, did Lemon Abner hobnob with the celebrities in Hollywood, you know, like go to the galas and the red carpet affairs. Uh, I've never seen anything about that. Actually, as yeah. far as we know, they did. Uh, they were friends with uh, people like Clark Gable, uh, Robert Taylor, Barbara Stanwyck, uh, Loretta Young, 
Um, Amici, Chet Locke were very good friends. In fact, they ran a, uh, uh, I believe it was a horse stable, or they owned race horses together. Wow. Uh, Tuffy Goff was uh, very close to uh, people like Andy Devine and Phil Harris, and uh, I don't know course all the connections there i know uh barbara stanwick who at one time was married to robert taylor uh is on a couple of their programs and she comes in playing herself to do a pitch for uh war bonds so they were they were part of that hollywood scene and you know probably and north golf as a character actor had different roles on the jack benny radio show that's true yes you're right yeah in fact if i there's also on andy griffith pardon me he was also on on an episode of Andy Griffith, oh, yes. I believe, and uh, he was also on a Gomer Powell USMC. That's right. Also. As as uh, his grandfather. Was that right. Otis Otis Powell? Six foot. <laughs> Sergeant Otis T. Powell, U.S. Cavalry, retired. That was it. <laughs> Thanks. I'll talk to you later. Bye, Uncle Donnie. Thanks, Kenneth. He does a great. Uh, Norris Goff could have been. Could have continued playing Abner uh, or any other character. I think you know, had it not been for his health, uh-huh. uh, and does a great job on those programs. What? Oh, was it heart? What? What? I mean, what's? Gomer's grandpa. Excuse me. What slowed him down? Was it his heart, Donnie? What? What that? He had uh, he had heart trouble. He also had cancer mm. uh, in the late 40s. Um, he was in his 40s. He was a fairly young man. Yeah. And what um, actually uh, was off the show. For several weeks, uh, with cancer uh, due to cancer surgery, in I believe it was 1948, and uh, the gentleman who helped Chet Locke get through that time was Clarence Hartzell, who yes. was playing Ben Withers, and they simply uh, expanded his part, and they would uh, Chet would continue to play the characters that he played, and they altered the scripts. So that Chet interacted more with Ben Withers, and uh, they would occasionally, he would say, well, you know, say, well, where's Abner today? He said, well, said he's on his way back from someplace, or says, I'm going to call him in a minute, and they would, Abner would be supposedly on the other end of the phone. But uh, there are not a lot of those episodes that exist. I think there is one where Chet uh, announces that uh, Abner will be back next week and uh, actually uh, goes out of character a bit and says uh, something like uh, we're sure looking forward to having you back Tuffy or something to that effect so and the CBS I believe it was gave them a gave Tuffy a big welcome party back when he came back to the show but uh, he had he had various health problems as the years passed but um, still lived a, a, a nice long life did he, well, now, did were there ever any episode where North Goff carried a show and Chester was, yes. was ill? Uh, that, that would happen from time to time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they could do that. Uh, they could carry on a show by themselves when, when it was necessary. And uh, they were very good at that. Were uh, they able to do any of the characters for each other? I don't think that ever happened, no. Um... Not that I can remember. Uh, I know that at one point, one of them even, they even would try to do a female voice every now and then. <laughs> so, I mean, they were they were very versatile. But um, I don't think they ever tried to do the other person's part. Do 
did we ever meet Elizabeth and Pearl? On the show? Uh-huh. Yes, yes, they were on the show a few times. Uh, I don't know the actress who played Elizabeth in one of the, uh, when Grandpappy Spears loses his memory and thinks his name is Buster V. Davenport, mm-hmm. and he sells vacuum cleaners. Uh, <laughs> someone out there, John and Larry Gassman, someone probably knows who this actress was, but uh, they had a wonderful actress come on the show to play Elizabeth. And also, I believe she was in some of the half-hour shows. Uh, Little Pearl was played by a lady we had at our 1997 convention, Mary Lee Robb. Uh, she actually started her radio career playing Little Pearl. I think she got her union card that way, as a matter of fact. Oh, my. And it was in the series where uh, Little Pearl got married. And uh, I think that's also one of the episodes that we, we found the disc for uh, in our one of our searches. But, um, and of course, Mary Lee, as you know, went on to be on The Great Gildersleeve. Mm-hmm. Where did you find some of the discs? I mean, there have to be some stories... Uh, where this might have popped up. Have, are there any strange stories? Um, the way we located the collection was a gentleman passed away mm-hmm. who uh, had a very large collection, and we were we were called and said, "Here, you know, he wants to donate these to the National Lemon Abner Society." And basically, that's what happened. We, Got it. Sam Brown and I drove to Houston and collected this uh, this collection of discs, mm. and. Uh, I know there are some that have been found in various places around the country as well. Any idea why did they went to the half-hour format? I'm sorry? Why did they try the half-hour? I think that was uh, uh, the network. Mm-hmm. Uh, William S. Paley, possibly. Hello, Carl. You're on air. Hey, Ethan Nobles, Denton, Arkansas. <laughs> How you doing? Ethan who? <laughs> <laughs> I told you the editor was on Hello, Ethan Noble. We were prepared for you. Oh, were you? Yes. <laughs> My doggies were loaded with buckshot. <laughs> that sounds kind of ominous, prepared, I mean. Uh. We were prepared. Donnie said you would probably call, so we're really happy to hear from you. Hi. Hi. How, how are you doing? Uh, we, we all are fine. Guess where he's from. Uh, uh, I've noticed that, uh, <laughs> that Donnie. Arkansas. That's it. I know. I don't, I don't even have to announce it. You can just tell. Uh, one thing I noticed Donnie did not mention is that uh, he came up with kind of the idea for this comic strip over at uh, First Arkansas News um, right after the last time he was on your show. Oh, no you know, kidding. Well, we touched base on that, and I'm so glad you called because we need to talk about the comic strip, how it came about, where it's where it appears. So start talking, and everybody's going to jump in. Okay, that's fine. Uh, you know, again, firstarkansasnews.net is the site. Um, Donnie, as I said, had sent me an email um, uh, coming up with the idea, which I loved. And when he started turning in uh, samples of the artwork, I uh, really liked it. I mean, I hopefully uh, all of y'all have uh, seen the uh, strip by now, but the artwork is just fantastic in that. Uh, really top-notch stuff. Um, uh, I, I, I told my wife, I looked at it, I said, you know, these, these may be too good for my site, but uh, I'm, I'm glad we get to run these. So it's uh, really, um, um, uh, they, they, they look great, and it's uh, kind of uh, touching on a bit of Arkansas history, so we, we, we're real proud to be running those. Are the people in Arkansas familiar with Lum and Abner? Well, it depends on how old they are. I guess I, I didn't really ask that correctly. Are the people in Arkansas more likely to know Lum and Abner than people from other parts of the country? 
I think so, uh, simply because there are so few entertainers from this state who really made it big. Um, that, and that a lot of in Lemon Abner they did, so a lot of people know exactly who they are. Um, so you know, I, I, I think they will be inclined, particularly if you get in Western Arkansas where they were from, mm-hmm. and uh, people are familiar with them. And, and they have a, a festival at Mina, Lemon Abner Festival, every year. So that gets a lot of uh, play in the uh, in regional press over there. How did you get to know them? How did I get to know them? Uh, growing up in the seventies and eighties. Listening to reruns uh, with my father out of a uh, station in Hot Springs. Um, um, dad, in fact, uh, he, uh, you know, I, I, I love old time radio, and that's largely due to my dad. Um, so, uh, one thing I really like about the strip here is my dad has just celebrated his uh, 69th birthday the other day. And so, this is something that he could enjoy the comic strips. Uh, and and I'm, I'm glad that he's, he's around, and, 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 and he seems to really like him so far. So, yeah, I mean, it's just uh, um, growing up listening to these with my daddy and uh, 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 really uh, grew to love the show that way. Are you familiar with the Lemon Abner movies? Yes. How did, uh, he, how did Johnny take those characters and translate them into a new medium? Uh, I, I, well, I mean, how successful was he? Very. Huh? I mean, they look, they look very much like... Uh, and my image of Lum and Abner from the movies. And that's the only uh, way any of us have an idea of what they look like is from watching the movies. Um, but, but he seems to have captured that very well. He's like doing said, the awesome routine with me here. Um, Ethan, he's, he's doing aw shucks when I tell him how good it is, so I'm, I'm really prompting you to repeat how good it is. Oh, it's fantastic. You all know that. <laughs> I need you to know? record this and play this for my wife and tell her, see, I've been telling you. Oh, I think the audience is funny. I don't know if you go to church, but it would be a good place to start, in my opinion. As far as, uh... Actually, I showed this around people oh. at my church there, Donnie, and they all love it. So, there you go. And how? Maybe, uh, let, let me ask a question, because I don't think uh, this has been covered. And, Ethan, you can answer this, since you're the guy. How do you react uh, when a person says, not only how do I see this online, but... How do I help this project grow, and how can I request it uh, as far as newspaper publication? Who do people contact, in other words? Well, they can, uh, you know, they can bug the heck out of their local newspapers, and we, of course, are encouraging everyone to do that. I've been doing some of that myself. Um, certainly, uh, when it comes to syndication, we are set up to do that. Uh, the fee for uh, uh, printing these strips uh, is, is is pretty inexpensive, I think. Uh, Donnie, you know that we've got one, um, uh, a magazine out of Texas is going to be running them, and they were uh, pleasantly surprised at how much it would cost them to uh, syndicate the series. Um, and, and and from there, I mean, uh, people can get in touch with me through my site, and uh, we'll be glad to you know, do whatever uh, needs to be done just to get it out there. I think mostly, um, of course, we, we, we don't get the, the license to use these characters for free, so we've got to make a little bit of money, but I think our main interest is just getting this out there for people to enjoy. And uh, Donnie and I had talked about this and showing these around at, at my church on my iPhone. Uh, you'd have people uh, go, wow, that's great. Where can I see it? Oh, my website. Oh, uh, they wanted to see something in print. And right. and a lot of people who are of a certain generation, uh, you know, we're talking about 60 and above or so, they like to see things in print. So we're trying to uh, do that as much as we can. Take it to King uh, Features. 
Yes, do what? <laughs> Taking the king features. There you go. Go go big time. Actually, we have, have fans it. at King Features. Uh, and, and, and for people who are just wanting to support the project generally, we do have some sponsorship opportunities available on the site. People uh, who just want to see it continue and want to help us uh, – pay our licensing fees can, can give them, you know, as much as they can afford, get listed uh, on the website, um, uh, get a little attention that way. And we are selling t-shirts, mugs, mouse pads, all that nifty Okay, stuff. good. I was going to ask you if you need any help in merchandise, I know people that can help you in that. Field. Absolutely. We'll take all the help we can get. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah. Ethan, I think one of the things that might be sliding past people is that you have fees that are associated with this. Licensing fees, uh, you, you just didn't um, appropriate the characters and say, isn't this great? We'll put them in the newspaper. You've got expenses that go along with this. Would you detail a little bit about the expenses so that people know if they send money, it's not just, they're not just sending it to a commercial organization and enhancing your bottom line? Oh, sure. Uh, there's uh, every every dime we get off of this, a certain percentage goes to Chet Long Jr. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he holds the rights. Um so there's that. Uh, of course, Donnie, um, realizing he puts in, and he's not going to tell anyone this, but I will, he puts in well over 12 hours per strip. So um, in my view, he ought to be compensated uh, uh, for his time there as well. Yeah. Um, and, and we do have, uh, running a website, we've got hosting fees and everything else to take care of. So, I mean, um, uh, again, we're not, we're not looking to get rich off this, I don't think, but... Uh, uh, we do like to make a little bit of money and keep the lights on. And, and the most important thing is just making sure that uh, Chad Locke, uh, Jr. is kept happy with what we're doing. Um, he was very gracious in giving us a shot at this. He didn't have to. Um, so we, we, we want to make sure that he, he finds it worth his while. Well, maybe, here's an idea. Maybe after you get so many, you put them in a comic books and allow a first radio archives or one of those to show them that way that way that, that might be a way to get you guys money money to we take have thought it. about that yes yeah you know, after a couple of years or, or whatever it would take of right. publishing a collection yeah that's what i'm wondering that might help bring the money in so and that's uh you know there, there are a lot of things this is a uh, i think we're, we're uh, I'm, I'm gonna post uh what at about midnight the sixth strip in the series so it's still fairly young and 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 we we have luckily gotten to the point where the licensing's taken care of, okay. and we can move forward. This is still in its infancy, really, so we'll mm -hmm. we'll see where it goes. Um, mostly, it's just uh, um, well, doing this for the reason we do anything at my side. It's just a cool thing to do, and and really unique, and and we're enjoying it. I love it. It's a cool thing to do. It's good <laughs> stuff. Stuff is the best word. Hey. I'm, I get a, I, I'm an Arkansan going back generations. We can preserve a bit of this state's history in a good way. Um, uh huh. I'd love to be part of that project. It's really wonderful. Tell me about the voiceover work that Donnie is doing. Uh, the the uh, we're we're doing that for the uh, interpreting these for 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 uh, uh, blind listeners. I, I think that's great. Again, that's another idea that he had totally on his own. Um, the characters sound pretty well accurate. Now, I know he, he's going to say, oh, I can't do those voices very well, but, man, they, they work. Uh, it, it, it works very well. And I think that's a great service uh, to offer, and that's something that uh, if you listen to these broadcasts with sound effects and everything else, he puts a lot of time into those, too. Um, so so Donnie's really uh, nope, you know, passionate you may about have this actually whole deal. And I think they should the work. I'm sorry. I think I just walked all over you. 
do what? I think I just walked all over you there, Ethan. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was listening oh. to two of you. Go ahead. Um, I, I thought I detected a pause there, and I jumped in. Yeah. I, I started to say uh, I think we may have an innovation there because I don't – I've checked uh, the King Features uh, Daily Inc. and uh -huh. the Go Comics sites, and I don't see uh, a click-to-listen button or anything where the strips – Hey, you better you, you. You go patent that idea before you let that out to them, guys. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure you can patent a click here to listen. Maybe not. But, uh, um, but you, you've made it extra simple as well because you open up the comics page and you get the most recent panels are on top, but every single panel is there. And every single one has a click here to listen link next to it, or actually in the, in the upper left-hand corner. So... A blind person can go straight down the left-hand side of the page and click every time he reaches a click here to listen. You'll be listening to that panel, and the visual is there. So you, you can have, even do the audio and the visual at the same time, can't you? Yeah. Yeah, and, it's, uh, and, and <laughs> I've never tried that. <laughs> how, how is, I never thought about that until just now. You, You're you going to make this complicated. Now people are going to want it animated. <laughs> be satisfied. Well, that's about the only thing that's left. <laughs> well, 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 we almost did that in Mina. We had a uh, a video that we put together of the the first uh, strip where the the panels followed, you know, came along with the audio. But uh, uh huh. Well, we I, came I close. think that's a great. I'm going to go back and read the panels while it's playing. Mine won't, well, my computer won't do that, so I'll, I'll have to work on that. Maybe I have to come up with a <laughs> Wait, open log on and, on two different uh, screens or something. Yeah, just uh, just open two pages and you'll do fine. Maybe that'll work. Good. Well, even I think it'll I'm... click or whatever, and <laughs> it'll, it'll you you can do that. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I think well, we won't go into the top. Ah. We won't bore people with the technical yeah. part of it, but yeah, that can be done. Now, yeah, you're right, it can. Now, what website do we go to see these features at? Let's give the plug out. Where do we go? Uh, that's uh, firstarkansasnews.net, and at the top of the page, you'll see a, uh, um, a, a black bar with a Lemon Abner link, and you go right there. And the way we're going to structure this is that uh, we're going to group these comics together by story. So um, event, you know, the newest story will always be the main page, and we'll have the uh, older ones branching off from there. And what, what do you cover in the newspaper besides the comic strip? Do you cover just basically news in the state of uh, uh, Arkansas, or what some of the features you normally that people can read and keep up keep up to date on? Well, we have a couple. I mean, we do have some general news, yeah, and mm -hmm. a lot of, lot of real estate, a lot of business, uh, just things going on around the state. We've mm -hmm. got reporters uh, uh, in central Arkansas, of course, uh, me. Uh, we've got one in Searcy. We've got uh, someone in Conway and a couple in Northwest Arkansas who are sending things in regularly. Uh, but we have also just uh, started uh, last uh, weekend, actually, uh, a bit of modern audio theater of our own called the Super Weasel Lawyer Team. Uh, well, I told I told Donnie I, I, I'm a recovering lawyer, so it's fun to kind of make fun of them time to time. Um, that's like being an alcoholic. <laughs> might get over it. You'll always be an alcoholic, I guess. I'll always be a lawyer, but I can be a recovering one. Uh, so that's there, and that's one that we just started uh, producing about a month ago and have two episodes up. We're working on another series as well. So. Oh, mama mia. <laughs> 
You're going to have to re repeat that. Just do it one more time. The recovering lawyer thing? Uh-huh. Kind of like being an alcoholic. You're, you're always an alcoholic, but you can be in recovery. Yeah. yeah that's kind of how it is. Yeah, so, so give me the name again, the weasel. Uh, uh, super weasel lawyer team. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be laughing about that one all night. Oh, my. I think that's the episode. Because we've got some uh, local actors from the Royal Theater here in Denton huh? who are providing the voices for that. Um, are, these, and, uh, are these audios that you have on the website? Yeah, yeah, they are. Oh, cool. And uh, those are ones that um, we, we record and, 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 and uh, <laughs> do all the sound effects, the music, everything else is uh, we, we handle ourselves. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I can't wait to finish and get me up there. <laughs> yeah, give it a listen. It's, it's fun. Those are scripted by a fellow named uh, Edwin Smith uh, from a... Uh, um, well, he grew up with me, but he lives around Little Rock now. So uh, another all-Arkansas production, and we're, we're having fun with that. Too much fun. Oh, my goodness. Do you have a lot of attorneys who advertise with you? Uh, or, no, 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 no. We don't have many advertisers, period. Uh, have a lot of our, our ad rep vanished a couple of months ago, so we're trying to figure out what to do about that. Uh-huh. Yeah, I misasked the question. I, I should have said, did you have a lot of attorneys advertising with you? Oh, no, no. No. Uh, I think they're struggling financially like everyone else. Well, so if we can find a couple of lawyers that want to advertise their feature, you'll be happy, right? Oh, yeah. They yeah. Have, <laughs> uh, they'd have to have a great sense of humor. And, uh... You know, lawyers, lawyers take the heat so many times for so many things. And, you know, as a group, they're just wonderful people. Great. Uh, you have a lot of them actually are. Um, when I was practicing law, I met a lot of really fantastic people doing that. Uh, there are a few that, like every profession, give, give them a bad name, but there, there are some really great ones out there, and, sure. and, and I'm still friends with a lot of, those, a lot of the folks from those days. But mm -hmm. uh, Lightning rods. The attorneys and doctors are lightning rods, and it's really sad. But in order to be a good attorney, I think you have to have a good sense of humor as number one in your column. You couldn't survive without a sense of humor in that field. Uh, no, you couldn't because it's uh, you deal with such uh, horrible, depressing things on a daily basis. Uh -huh. There's humor in that somewhere. Well, that, that's good. The weasel. <laughs> this is good. You're, you're good. I, I really like this. So, so. Well, maybe maybe we've not annoyed too many, offended too many lawyers. Now, maybe we've made up for that. I don't think. Oh no, <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. When you play to a stereotype, you play to the audience, you know? There you go. Yep. Well, well, it has been so cool talking with you, Ethan. What else should our listeners know about the site, about the strip, about anything at all? Well, we post a new strip every Sunday. I, I, I just hope people uh, uh, come by uh, every week, take a look at it, uh, and enjoy it. Um, Donnie's uh, done some great work, and, 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 and we, we hope people get a kick out of it. Uh, it's, um, I think it's a great series and, 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 and really proud to be a part of it and glad that uh, he got in touch with me about it so that we've been able to develop it as we have. Give your website one more time, please. FirstArkansasNews.net. All spelled out, no spaces, because... Uh, uh, apparently, I'm too verbose and coming up with site names. So, but that's uh, yeah, just first Arkansas News dot net. 
way to go. Well, you are terrific. Thank you so much for calling in and giving Johnny Pats on the back because he's aw-shucksing us over here. Huh. Uh, he, he's, he's great at what he does. He deserves credit. He's getting it. So good. Well, listen, uh, 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 I've been enjoying listening to the show. Uh, thanks for having me on. Well, thank you so much for calling in. We really appreciate it. I'll talk to you all soon. Bye-bye. Uh -huh. regularly with the happenings of the organization. He is the cartoonist and the voiceover artist for weekly panels. These are honest-to-goodness, color-like, Blondie and Dagwood-type stuff that you see in the Sunday comics. This is not just one little line of, of three pictures. This is a whole big deal. And they're great. Uh, they are just super. Um, Donnie, I want to hop over. We left off at the half-hour shows when they yes. switched over to the half-hour shows, and you thought it might have been um, a William Paley and a network choice to do that. Tell me what happened to the show, positive or negative, when they went from the 15-minute format to the half-hour audience format. Some, well, you know, some people enjoy the half-hour shows. Uh, some listeners uh, like them better than the 15-minute strip show. Uh, personally, I never did. Uh, my favorite series is the ongoing 15-minute strip show, uh -huh. uh, which was either three, four, or five nights a week, depending on the era and, and the sponsorship. That, to me, was classic Lum and Abner. The 30-minute uh, the show, to me, was as much a departure as, in a way, the movies were, because you no longer had primarily... Uh, Chet and Tuffy doing the voices, uh, and after uh, a few shows, you stopped hearing Grandpappy Spears, you stopped hearing Squire Skimp, um, you mainly heard just Lum and Abner, uh -huh. uh, except when they would do the Christmas show and they would bring Grandpappy Spears back in, of course, they had to do that. Of course, they already had Clarence Hartzell working with them as Ben Withers, and he carried over for a time, uh, but eventually he was replaced... Uh, by Cliff Arquette in his pre-Charlie Weaver days. Uh -huh. uh, and uh, you had uh, Andy Devine at first played Mose Moots, the barber, but then for some reason suddenly became Andy Devine. <laughs> and uh, you had Zazu Pitts on the show. Uh, you had Opie Cates, who was a very talented uh, clarinet player, band leader, uh, arranger, from uh, who actually uh, came from Arkansas. And his natural speaking voice blended perfectly. Uh, he's one of the pluses in, in the half-hour days. His natural speaking voice was comedic in itself, and he had a natural Arkansas accent, so he became Opie Cates on the show. And uh, So there were many good things about the half-hour show. Uh, I think um, most of the people who participated really didn't enjoy it as much as they did the 15-minute show. Um, Do you think the people who liked or like the half-hour shows came in late and started with them? I don't really know. Uh, it could be. Uh, I know that, that when I first heard the 15-minute shows, I thought, what is this? Mm -hmm. The first thing I ever heard was a 30-minute show, and it sounded like you know any other half-hour radio situation comedy. Uh -huh. And um, I thought, oh, this is the show my dad used to listen to. 
and I, I remember thinking, this sounds a lot more Hollywood than I thought it would. Yeah. You know, because I had heard of Zazu Pitts, and I had heard of, you know, some of the other actors in the show. Mm-hmm. And I had the idea from my dad that Lumet Abner was just broadcast in Arkansas. I, I, he thought it was just an Arkansas program. He didn't know it was national. Yeah. Because it sounded like all my uncles and aunts. Just down It sounded like country. folks down the road, you know, like uh-huh. folks at the general store. Uh, and uh, so but when I finally heard the 15-minute shows, after several episodes, it started to click. And I started to pick up on it. And uh-huh. uh I can listen to a half-hour show and enjoy it, but it it's not, to me, it's not true Lum and Abner. Um, it's an interesting juxtaposition with uh, Fibber McGee and Molly that went from a half-hour audience show right. to a 15-minute no-audience show, and the opposite happened with Lum and Abner, 15-minute right. no-audience um, to half-an-hour audience, right. and they, you know, they, they worked it backwards, and it didn't work. Right. Uh, and, you know, Amos and Andy did that as well, but their half-hour show caught on and lasted a while. Mm-hmm. Um, it really did not. They had uh, Frigidaire as a sponsor. Uh, Wendell Niles was their announcer. Um, they started with, it may have even been Felix Mills, may have been the first orchestra leader, but I know O.B. Cates came in a little later and finished the series. And uh, as a result, they were sustaining for a, a while in the second season, uh, the Ford Motor Company came along and sponsored, you know, for a time, but they actually struggled, I think, there toward the end of the half-hour series and uh, went off the air for a time in 1950. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. But they did return. They finished their uh, series going back to the original format of a 15-minute daily show uh-huh. on ABC and wrapped that up, as uh, Chet Locke said earlier, in 1954. I recall a segment or a series that involved Andy Devine in the 15-minute episodes where he fell and got hurt in the store. Do you recall that? I don't remember that in the in the 15-minute shows. Was he I, in the 15-minute show? You, that's one on me. <laughs> I, I do believe. Walden, maybe you can help me here. I, I remember he did it in a half-hour show. It was a half-hour show. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I yes. thought they did it in I, the 15 minutes as well. Now I have to go back and do okay, my homework what, and listen. You, may, you might be thinking of a couple of series. They, they, they did it twice where Lum pretends to have a broken leg. Oh, my God, was that funny. <laughs> yeah, is that, yes. maybe you're thinking of that. For the, for the insurance. No, right. it, it must have been the half-hour show that I listened to then because Andy Devine fell. They couldn't get him up because he was so heavy. And yes, they, I remember they that. They rode him out of town on the back of, they hauled him out from the back of a truck. I mean, it was I just. I think so. Oh, there, was, were, there were a lot of great situations in the oh half-hour show. I'm not, I'm not. They were so outrageous, they were believable. Yeah, I'm, I'm not putting it down completely. I just prefer the 15-minute show. I absolutely agree with you. And my next question plays into that. If someone who is listening is new to Lum and Abner, where, which point along the 20- or 30-year history should they jump in and get a feel for it and decide whether really or not they like they, it? I think they should look at the 80-year history and start with the comic strip. I really think that's the <laughs> it way. It works backwards. <laughs> no, I'm, We're I'm, get I'm there. kidding. I'm only partially kidding. I hope they will give that a try. Uh, but um, 
where would they start is a good question. Yeah, is, is there a particular series? I mean, like I'm I'm partial to the Diogenes Smith and the Honest Man yes, I routine. Am too. I'm I'm partial to that, and I'm partial to the Matrimonial Bureau and the faked accident where right. poor Abner got tied um, up. And... I think the best thing to do is probably try to get in as early as possible and just grow uh, with the series. You know, let the series carry you along. A lot of people. Uh, the problem is is we're so conditioned today to uh, instant humor. Mm -hmm. uh, some people compare it, uh, talking nostalgically, to, well, maybe the Three Stooges compared to Laurel and Hardy, where the, the Three Stooges will have their humors a bit more rapid fire. Laurel and Hardy will build, you know, until there's a big crescendo mm -hmm. and a huge payoff at the end. See, they're just as funny. Uh, but it's just a difference in the way the humor is constructed. Yeah. And a I, lot of people feel that the older programs, they'll listen to it and they'll say, what, what's going on? They're just talking. Mm -hmm. you know, I said, well, you got to just give it some time. But it's fun talking. Yeah, and it's, um, it's a little more slice of life, I think, than, than what people are expecting from a situation comedy mm -hmm. where, you know, and that's one thing that uh, Norris Goff said about, I believe it was Norris Goff said about the half-hour show, said they had these network, uh, what did he call them, yacht counters or something. <laughs> Walden may know what I'm talking about. There were people that said, you got X number of, of laughs in the uh -huh. 15 minutes. we got to beef that up. Uh -huh. Come on, we got to punch it up. You guys aren't getting enough laughs. We've got to put in some more. You need to hire a couple of Bob Hope writers. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's it. Yeah. Somebody to punch it up. <clears throat> and, and Tuffy didn't, you know, Tuffy commented that, you know, that's just not our char our characters. No. And, you know, suddenly, you know, you heard Abner became become a wisecrack artist and yeah. he'd throw in little which he would do in the earlier programs but in the half hour shows it was a lot more frequent mm -hmm. and um, a lot of people I think are conditioned to modern soap or rather modern sitcoms and it's a little difficult for them to slow down and listen to Lum and Abner yeah. and when understand that flow. When do you think Lum and Abner mm -hmm. actually quit? Patricia and I always talk about Phil McGee and Molly starting 35 but really it found its leg about 1941 about six years into the run. You think, when if I... Flick? When did they hit their stride? When did they hit their stride? Was it about 39, 40? When do you think Lump and Abner really figured out how they were going to go? Oh, gosh. You know, that's... <clears throat> it's hard to answer that because I listened to it all out of order. Okay. Uh, I got into it on the Diogenes series mm -hmm. after that was in progress and followed it through and then backtracked and listened to different... Uh, Mm -hmm. I, really hard to say uh -huh. uh, because I think they had it down by the mid '30s very well. Okay, um, I, it, they didn't. They didn't change personalities like some of the right. other shows did. What you saw, what you heard, that's what you got, mm -hmm. and they started and finished the right. same way. It's interesting though because you can hear differences in the the voices. If you listen to a 1935 show uh -huh. and compare it to a 19 uh, to one from the mid 40s and then one from uh, the early 50s, uh -huh. you do you do you do hear a difference in the character voices. But not um, the character of the characters. Probably not. not I'll as tell much. you what happened. Um, not that. <laughs> wait a minute. Let me let me rephrase this. I'm going to tell you what happened. The half-hour shows. I picked up a change in personality mm -hmm. and how the characters talked right. at, compared to the 15 minutes. They got more citified. They were less folksy. 
they lost some of their mannerisms and colloquialisms. Yes. Did I pick that up correctly? I think so. Yes, I noticed a difference there. So the whole personality of the show went through an evolution of sorts. I think it did, yes. So don't uh, start with was... the half-hour shows, everybody. Pardon me? I, I just announced, do not start with the half-hour shows. <laughs> well, with... I, I wouldn't recommend them, uh, just because to me, pure Lum and Abner is that long-running 15-minute show. Uh, they wouldn't have run that long if they weren't successful. I, I agree. Yeah. Now, the Jack Benny degree program, I have heard it, which makes me think I probably have it. And if I do, anybody who sends me an email at floridawriter at hotmail.com, I will make sure you get it. It's a fun show. Yes, it's been around for several years. Um, first place I heard it was through Spurvac. Uh-huh. And, you know, once once something gets <clears throat> back in the 70s and 80s, once something got into a collector's library or a dealer's library, I mean, it went through <laughs> dub after dub. So it, it's probably out there. It's probably out there, and it's not nearly the quality that it should be. But right. if you're satisfied with listening and appreciating the humor, mm -hmm. as opposed to really having sensitive ears and requiring a high-quality sound, I got stuff for you. I got stuff. Can you talk to me for a minute? And I never even asked, do we have a time limit tonight? Not for me. Not for you? When I, not limit. I mean, do you have a target time? Um, I don't want to keep Well, I'm up. in the central time zone, so I'm an hour earlier than you are, so then it's not I midnight okay. yet. <laughs> so, as, so as long as I, I hang in there, you can too? Yes. Oh, cool. Talk to me about sponsors. How did they get their sponsors? And I asked at the beginning when we got a, a phone call, it struck me as peculiar going from Horlicks, which is a non-coffee mm -hmm beverage to Postum, which is a non-coffee beverage, and both of them were marketed as alternatives to right. coffee, how would, I, or why would a sponsor want to take over from a competitor? I don't know. Um, I know what happened with Horlick's malted milk. What happened? Uh, William Horlick, who was the founder, was uh, in his 80s. He was a huge fan of Lum and Abner. In fact, they... Uh, had lost their sponsor, uh, which at that time was the, were the it was a collection of Ford dealers, an organization known as the Ford Dealers of America, and they themselves, I believe, uh, were contacted by Mr. Horlick, or possibly they contacted them themselves. I don't believe an agent was involved. Uh, in fact, one, at one time they were represented um, by Amos and Andy's manager, uh, Mr. Hay. I believe it was, and they actually let him go. <laughs> We've seen a copy of a letter where they said, uh, you know, we, we no longer require your services because we don't feel you're representing us as we choose to be represented. Whoa. And I've heard that they actually represented themselves in many instances. And uh, well, that they didn't were very savvy any... uh, gentlemen. And uh, Chet started out in uh, automobile finance, and, you know, both came from a, a family. Their fathers were both businessmen in Mena, Arkansas, so they were very intelligent, very savvy uh, businessmen themselves. Uh -huh. And I believe they signed the contract. They actually spoke with Mr. William Horlick himself and and made the, uh, the deal for him to sponsor. And as a result, Horlick's had to start running extra factories uh, around the clock to supply the demand for their products. So... The program had a huge impact on sales 
of Horlick's Malted Milk. Mr. Horlick passed away. And uh, as soon as that happened, the uh, successors wanted no part of the sponsorship. They wanted to scale down <laughs> rather than spend the money to expand, is the way the story goes. But uh, I think, basically, Horlick's was considered more uh, of a helpful, in some instances, a meal replacement, or in uh-huh. some instances, uh, uh, something to build strength and, and that sort of thing, whereas Postum was more actually a coffee substitute. So uh-huh. they, there was a difference in those products in that respect. It wasn't, yeah. wasn't like, yeah. let's say... Uh, Lucky Strike cigarette sponsors you one year, and um, camels. And it, right, it wasn't yeah. like two cigarette companies, so to speak. Uh huh. But I'm really disappointed about Horlicks the way that played out. It was such, it it, it was such a strong marriage between right. the product and the show and the characters in the show. Right. I recall early on when Hor- Horlicks was relatively new, well, actually the show, I guess, was relatively new itself, when Lum and Abner offered the Horlicks flashlight, Mm -hmm. the pocket flashlight, and anyone who who wrote in, I guess you had to send in a label or the the seal, the the inside seal, had to send something that proved that you had actually bought the product. And ten cents for postage and handling, which I think is lovable. Right. I mean, really, it's just so cuddly when you think about ten cents, how far it went. And they would send you a Horlicks flashlight, and you were supposed to vote either for Lum or right. Abner for president of the company, of the Jotham Down store. And they were overwhelmed. They were telling people, be patient, we have to go into right. a, additional production. They had no clue how much of a response right. they were going to get for this. They, uh, in fact, I think I've heard an, an interview on that where they, uh, had it not been for, for Mr. Horlick, you know, they would have gone under on that because uh, they had no idea it would be that popular. Now, is it true that Lum and Abner or um, Goff and Locke were going to underwrite the cost of those flashlights until it got so overwhelming? I- I've heard that story. Uh, I've also heard that the same thing happened when uh, they did a storyline where Lum ran for president. Mm-hmm. And uh, they encouraged people to uh, start Lum for president fan clubs in their towns. And if they would write to them, uh, I don't know if they had to send a box top or a package or whatever, but if they would write to them, they would send Let's Let Lum buttons for uh, every member of their club. And they oh, were overwhelmed my. on that one as well. <laughs> and I think I think they did have to pay for that out of pocket, if I remember the story correctly. Didn't take a lesson very well, did they? Yeah. So, you know, I don't that's, know. That's really remarkable. I know there were two or three instances like that, and I think uh-huh. they wanted – the best thing about that is it, it was a good way to gauge uh, audience. Yes. You know, the ratings. They um... – I think they underestimated themselves the way you underestimate yourself. Well, let's well, hope so. <laughs> let's, let's leave it up to the audience now. An awful lot of people have heard Lumen Abner shows, and now Walden is going to play a Lumen Abner clip that Donnie recorded to go with the comic strip at FirstArkansasNews.net. Walden, do you have the clip? Here we go. <laughs> Lum and Abner. They 
based on characters created by Chester Locke and Norris Goff. Abner, you just got to wake up. Huh? Don't you understand? Your laziness has cost us a customer. But, Lom! Ain't no buts about it, Abner. The widow Abernathy's took her trade over to Huddleston store. You're always setting down, lazy, sleeping on the job. It's time to take responsibility. Time to get up and at him, Abner. Time for you to cast off that old laziness. Get up and move. Be more like me. Well, I notice you're the one setting down. A moment later, we see Grandpappy Spears at his mailbox. Well, I don't know. Was that a best storm with a beard? Or did Abner just run by? I'll get you, Abner. Story and art by Donnie Pitchford. Lumen Abner is a registered trademark used by permission of Chester Locke, Jr. The Lumen Abner comic strip is a publication of First Arkansas News. All rights reserved. When I heard that, Donnie, I thought it was three different people. <laughs> I really did. I did, too. I really did. We, we don't have a Horlix flashlight to give away, but if <laughs> we've got listeners out there who are willing to give us a call and a vote, mm-hmm. 714-545-2071, tell us how close Donnie Pitchford is to the real characters. I think you hit him right on the head. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Spot on, as the Brits would say. Now, how did you rec- how did you record it, Donnie? Did you um, read it straight with the different voices, or did you record your different voices separately and mix it together? Talk about the um, process. Uh, I'm going to have to stop and remember. Uh, I think <laughs> I did it separately. Okay. I think I did the announcer. Um, I did that so I could set the levels. And... Uh, then uh, I've uh, used Adobe Audition here to edit with, so uh-huh. I was able to combine it that way. No call, you're on the air. Hello, Donnie. Okay, for the uh, critique, I think, I think you, you do really well. Maybe Lum needs a little work, but you, you are a perfect squire. I've never heard a better squire. Even in the, mo- in the mo- movies, you you were better than them. So if you had been a little older, then you could have been in the movies with them. I appreciate <laughs> but, that. Uh, this is cool. Who really are you good. talking with? Hi. Uh-oh, they dumped out. Uh-oh. <laughs> 714 There's a vote for Donnie. <laughs> this is good. <laughs> the polling booths are open. You don't even have to... Oh, we got another fan. Hello, you're on the air. Hello, I'm sorry. I'm, my cell phone lost contact. Uh, this is Kenneth Smith. I'm, I'm good for... Oh, I know who that is. And uh, we're uh, on Facebook, too. Don't forget to tell them about our Facebook. That's right, yeah. What, where, and, you, uh, where, where are you calling from, raised, Kenneth? Winslow, Arkansas. That was about uh, 90 miles north of Pine Ridge, Arkansas. And my grandfather used to tell me they only got a break, you know, from working in the fields when Lum and Abner came on. Their dad would let them run to the house and listen to Lum and Abner. Oh, my. That was over. They had to run run back, you know, back out and work. But um, big... I've been listening to them for, oh, about 20 years now, I guess. But I've heard them all, at least a lot are available to the public. Kenneth. Um, I just love love Donnie. He, he does great work, and he he has kept Lum and Abner alive, in my opinion. That's just my opinion. Kenneth, you've listened to all of the series of series. Which is yes. your favorite? Does one jump out? Uh, the Diogenes series is wonderful. Um, I, I kind of like, like when they, they got trapped in the old mine. Oh, yeah. That was a pretty good series. Um, 
but I, I recommend everybody that can listen to the, the, the very first episode and work, you know, work your way, way up. That way you can, can really, you know, learn about them and get to love them. Uh-huh. You, you have to get to love the characters in order to love the series. And until that happens, you, you just really don't get it. And a lot of people in Arkansas were offended by the characters, you know, instead of making them all look stupid. But they're kind of uptight, in my opinion, because, you know, you can't, you can't go around uptight like that all your life. But uh, most people from Ar- from Arkansas loved it. I was a senior citizen. Um, I work with them a lot, and, and they all love it. Every every time I play it for them, they, they just go crazy over it. So that's just uh, that's just, that's my opinion. One, uh, you mentioned the senior citizens, and that is one of the publications that Ethan is working on, and I don't know the title of the publication. We'll know that hopefully fairly soon, but there is a senior citizen publication, a monthly publication that uh, we'll be carrying, uh, I think it's two strips per month, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to announce that in the next couple of months. Well, that's great. I was with the Council on Aging, and we had 11 senior centers, and I would go from senior center to senior center and just play it for them. Well, they would actually get mad if I didn't show up, you know, because they're so into it. So, uh, anyway, I'll get off now. I love Lemonade, and I love Donnie. Talk to you all later. Bye. Well, I you. hope you'll stay with us, Kenneth. Thank you so much for calling in. There you go. Thank you. Did they ever have an origin show, in other words, how Lum and Abner ever met? Did they ever create such a, an episode? Um, on the radio, I'm thinking... Um, I don't think that was actually done. I think they talked about knowing each other as, as kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, in the movie, uh, Partners in Time, you know, they do a flashback to where Abner is supposedly sp- speeding through Pine Ridge on his way uh, out west, I believe it is, and gets pulled over and, and given a speeding ticket. And he and Lum say, oh, you know, uh, you and I served together in the Army or what have mm-hmm. you which is completely at odds with the way the story was told in the radio show, even though it's a wonderful movie. <laughs> so I don't know of one other than, um, well, actually, believe it or not, we don't have the episodes recorded, but did you know or realize that when the series started, there was no Jot them Down store? Oh, I didn't realize that. I, didn't, I never thought about that. It, uh, they did not have a store when the show started. And Chet Locke explained the reason for that being uh, the characters, the Stebbins boys, uh, operated out of a general store. And I think there were others. And I think they resisted having Lum and Abner own a store. When the series started, they would uh, they would visit in Dick Huddleston's store or they would be um, in a building that housed uh, Lum's Justice of the Peace office. And Abner Abner had his constable's office in the same building, the way I understand it. So they were they were the local law, basically. Ab- Abner was the constable. He was a constable. Mama Mia. Yes, and um, in some of the early photos, uh, it's represented that way. In fact, in the little uh, we call it the little orange book uh, that was published. And by the way, uh, the Lemon Abner Museum and Jotham Down Store in Pine Ridge still sells, I believe, uh, a reproduction of that book. If you ever get a chance to go there or visit them online, uh, I believe you'll find all kinds of amazing things there. But uh, in that little book, um, they do not have the Jotham Down store. The, gen- the only general store in town 
is Dick Huddleston's store. There was actually a series, which I wish we had mm -hmm. recorded, where they actually opened a store, and they ran a contest to name the store and got several people who suggested uh, jot it down because uh, talk about, oh, if you want something, just jot it down uh -huh. or whatever. And they, they were thinking, well, we got several ties here, you know, because that's, that's what we like best. And one person wrote in and suggested in dialect, jot them down store. And so they said, that's it. And they picked his suggestion and sent him a little trophy. And in fact, he was a member of the National Lemon Abner Society, and I wish I could remember his name. What about Paul, the uh, Is he not with us any longer? I'm not sure. I think his name is Paul Fioca or something like that. I, uh, Paul, if you're listening, give us a call. I'm, I'm sorry. It, I haven't seen that information in about 10 years, but we did locate him. And uh, either he or his son or someone in the family done mm -hmm. a photograph of him holding the little trophy he was presented uh, for naming the Jotham Down store back in, uh, I guess, 1933-34, somewhere in that era. How about the Scrip Library? Did did the, did they keep one copy in the archive? Did they go all the way back until 31? How far do we have? Uh, I think there were two separate collections, and we don't have either collection. Um, there are uh, there's there's a collector who I think was able to purchase one set, and someone else owns the other. Mm -hmm. And I'm a little fuzzy as to how all that worked out. Uh -huh. We had permission to reproduce uh, the content of those. And for several years, we published those in like a month at a time in, a, in an inexpensive book format. Unfortunately, we sold every one of those out. Hmm. But uh, that was a way for the unrecorded shows to be enjoyed by people. And uh, if we ever get permission to do that again, perhaps we can we can do that again. But uh, we would, of course, seek permission from the, the trademark holders before trying that. But uh, uh, I think Chet had a set and Tuffy had a set uh -huh. one time. Um, and it went after Roz Rogers started writing, I believe he kept a set of those, and I don't know where those are. Okay. Uh, I think there may be some at the University of Arkansas at Little Rock. I'm, I'm not certain. Mm -hmm. Okay, we have to go through the routine again, Donnie. Okay. Where can people find you in the Lum and Abner Society? Okay. Um, you can uh, you can Google the National Lum and Abner Society uh, or use a search engine. If you do that, let me explain something that has confused a lot of people. And this is a sad story, but our original webmaster uh, was Jim Temple from Lufkin, Texas, a wonderful guy. And sadly, he passed away uh, last year. And as a result of his illness and one thing and another, we lost the original domain, and I was unable to get it back. Um, so if you do a search for us and you run across the National Lum and Abner Society homepage, you go there and it just doesn't look right or seem right, you might be getting the old domain, which is still floating around. Uh, the current one is uh, www.lumandabnersociety.org, with no spaces, lumandabnersociety.org. And that is uh, our current website, and we do have a collection of back issues of the Jot'em Down Journal for sale, which are reasonably priced, and uh, we use that to pay for the web hosting. What's in the Jot'em Down Journal? The Jot'em Down Journal was our printed publication from uh, 1984 to 2007, and it's located, uh, it's rather, it's loaded with photographs, articles, 
you name it, uh, we amassed a tremendous amount of information during those years. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have copies of all of them for sale, but I think there are over 50 different issues that we still have available. Some That'll of them keep are people very busy short for a while. Pardon me? That'll keep people busy for a while. <laughs> yes, and I do invite you, if you will check those out, I'm sorry I don't have PayPal or anything like that set up at this point, but if you'll contact me, if you're interested, I'll be glad to give you a price on, on whatever you might want to have there, and we'd like to share those with folks and at the same time pay our bills. Um, you can also find me on Facebook if you uh, search for my name, uh, D-O-N-N-I-E, and the last name is spelled just like uh, pitch, like pitching a baseball, and it's spelled like one of Lemon Abner's sponsors, the Ford, Pitch Ford. And uh, we have, there's also a Lemon Abner radio show fan club group on Facebook. There's a Lemon Abner comic strip group, uh, and there are a couple of other Lemon Abner-related groups there. There's a Yahoo discussion group. So if you, uh, you get busy and, and start searching on the web, you'll find a little bit of everything uh, relating to Lemon Abner. That sure sounds including, like it. And, including the Lemon Abner Museum, I must add. Ah, uh, uh, when was the last time you were at the Lemon Abner Museum? Uh, just before, just before the uh, Lemon Abner Festival in June. I knew that. We, That's uh, why I asked you. <laughs> that it's always it's been our tradition to meet there uh, every year. Uh, well, Sam Brown and I first met face to face there in 1982, and then uh, Tim Hollis, I think made his first trip there about a year later and uh, met Sam there in 84. And finally, we all got together in 85 for the first Lemon Abner Society convention. So, mm -hmm. um, the, the, museum year, and the museum and the Jot em Down store are in Pine Ridge, Arkansas. Yes. And the Jot em Down store is actually the original Dick Huddleston store. It's the original building. It was uh, sold to uh, Lon Stucker's parents by Ethel Huddleston, who is the daughter of Dick Huddleston. And the museum portion of that is in another old store building that existed across the street, which was almost the way Lum and Abner and Dick Huddleston had their stores on the radio show. But those buildings have been moved uh, together and connected, and... Uh, it's now the Lemon Abner Jotham Down Store and Lemon Abner Museum. And it's a fascinating place, not just for the history of Lemon Abner, but the history of, of Western Arkansas uh, is represented very well there. And it's not very hard to get to. No, not They're at all. They're pretty easy in, uh, directions. Right. You can get them on the Internet with MapQuest. It really is very easy to get there from, uh, and not terribly far from the interstate, so it's not like... You have to drive uh, country farm roads forever and ever to get there. So, yes, well, Johnny, uh, the highway is 88, Highway 88, which is actually designated Lemon Abner Highway. Uh-huh. And uh, I like it's, that. Um, actually, uh, there are a lot of towns there that you hear mentioned on the show. Uh, Mount Ida is there, or Mount, Mount Ida. Ida, as they called it. Mm -hmm. Of course, Mina, the county seat. Odin, Board Camp, Cherry Hill, um, Inc. <laughs> I, I could go on and on, but uh, they, they actually mentioned the, uh, the communities in and around that area. Love it. I, I just love it. 
How do they join the Lum and Abner Society, please? It's, it's really simple. Just go to the website, and uh, there are several places to click to contact me. And basically, it's uh, my first name, Donald, at LumenAbnerSociety.org, and just send me an email and tell me you'd like to join. And uh, what joining really does is just uh, it puts your email address in our uh, database, and you will get updates from me, and you can tell me if you want to hear from me all the time or once a month or once a week or whatever. I don't want to... Don't want to get on folks' nerves, but I want to let you know when there's Lum and Abner information. And uh, how many people do you have so far? Oh, uh, right around 300, I think. That's pretty impressive. And, uh, that's, well, when we were when we were mailing, we were approaching a thousand. Wow! Uh, and uh, it started to drop off the last few years because uh, at that time the MP3 explosion hit and. Uh-huh. You know, for years and years, we were duplicating cassettes just like everybody else, and we were all just too busy to to really embrace MP3s, and we missed that boat. (laughs) We did, you know, offer some CDs for a while, but basically we all got so busy. Tim Hollis uh, was the editor of the Jotham Down Journal all those years from uh, 84 to 2007, and Tim is now, if you Google Tim Hollis, or go to Amazon, uh, you will see that he has written a number of books. One of them is on rural humor. Um, One of them is on uh, Birmingham broadcasting. He's from the Birmingham, Alabama area. Well, Tim was just entirely too busy to continue editing the printed journal, and Sam Brown and I were both busy with our careers and could not manage it, and we just decided in 2007 to shut down publication, which... A lot of folks were pretty sad about that because yeah. we had a very, uh, I think, a very impressive, uh, at that time it was quarterly, but at one time we were bi-monthly, uh, a newsletter that would run 12 to 16 pages, slick paper, um, very well done. Tim handled that for years and years. and uh, But we don't, uh, we don't have to charge a fee for that anymore, and, you know, we would rather have people join and be part of the group and communicate with us and so it's it's now free uh-huh. and we we pay the web hosting fees as i said by selling those back issues of the journal and uh, try to keep it going that way and at the same time there are no real deadlines so there may not be a new article for four or five months but uh you know there will be some things on there of interest i hope at least every april fool's day and every sunday <laughs> yeah right you can get me two years in a row now. And every Sunday, the <laughs> yeah, comic strip. At First Arkansas News, yes, we'll yeah. have the comic strip. And I, have, I have a final question for yes. you. Yes. Did people in the Pine Ridge, Arkansas area really say, I doggies and I grannies? Uh, good question. Uh, I'm sure somebody did. <laughs> I'm sure they picked that up from someone. Uh, I've heard a lot of expression like a lot of expressions like that. And I'm sure it's uh, it's either well, you know, Jed Clampett always said well, doggies, and uh, in the scripts, this may answer a question for a lot of people. A lot of folks will think will spell it by b y doggies mm-hmm. or my, uh, and in the scripts, it's actually the letter I, just the single capital letter I. 
followed by grannies or followed by doggies. <laughs> so you can make of that what you will. Yeah, it it is clearly a peculiar expression. Right. <laughs> but I knew it was the eye doggies because I had visited Kathy and Lon yes. Stucker's website at, at the uh, John and Down store right. and the museum. And that was the first time I realized they were saying eye doggies and not by doggies. Right, right. So, I'm sure it. I'm sure it evolved from there. Yeah. But uh, it's. But you don't know if they really said it. Uh, I'm sure someone said it in the area. I can't tell you who. Well, maybe <laughs> but I'm sure even, after Lum and Abner started saying it, a lot more folks picked up on it. Oh, I'll bet we've got a whole community who said this <laughs> for old time radio. It's like, uh, well, it's like Diogenes Smith with his expression "Wonderful, wonderful world. world, Wonderful World." Right. <laughs> that that kicked off a lot of, uh, you know, that was an expression that floated around quite a while. Uh huh. In those days. And you know what was really fun about that for me was recognizing that poor Abner, who was always set up by Lum as being the foolish one mm -hmm. and was actually the common sense person, was the one who tired of it first. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I know. Wonderful world, wonderful world. Yeah. <laughs> he was so frustrated by it and just was perfunctory by the end. But everybody else was walking around trying to be the perfect person and win the $10,000. And so. Cedric carried that expression on, I think, longer than anybody else. I think he was the last one to use it. Yeah, and and he was right in there with it. He right. really wanted a wonderful world. Mm -hmm. Good old Cedric. Do Cedric one time for us, please. <laughs> wonderful world. <laughs> Love it. I've got to work on that one. No, you did good. Got to work on them all. <laughs> you did good. Well, Donnie, this has been such a wonderful visit. I hope, would you come back and, and visit with us again? Anytime. I just love it. And people can get in touch with you if they want to send you an email. They can get to you also through the website. Yes. Okay. You are so wonderful. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate uh, you and Walden, and it's just a delight to uh, to visit with both of you. Well, I really appreciate you spending so much time with us. We, I really kind of overstayed my welcome here, and I'm so glad you stayed with us. Problem here. Good. Well, we're going to... Uh, while we talk to Donnie off here, we're going to play a little bit of one of the uh, early convention when Will Rogers was at the Lemon Abner convention back around, what, 1985. Oh, you have that? I have that here. So this is, we're going to have him tell the whole story while we talk to Donnie. Here we go. When I was still a half-grown kid of a boy in South Dakota, long before I ever heard of Lemon Abner, my father brought home a strange-looking second-hand contraption he called a radio. It had a lot of mysterious wires and dials and a big horn, slim, similar to the one that the dog in the Victrola ads was always staring into, and had wonderful-sounding name, Atwater Kent. We all watched in awe as my father drilled a hole right down through the living room floor and ran some wires down through that hole to a car battery in the basement. Next, he strung some wires from a pole on the roof, and then he warned us all to stand back. He said this fool thing could blow up at any minute. <laughs> My grandmother needed no such warning because she wouldn't even come into the same room with it. It's an invention of the devil, she said, and you'll all wind up in hell. But we were so eager to hear what would come out of that mysterious box, we didn't care where we'd wind up. My father fiddled with the dials, and pretty soon we heard some wonderful sounds, sounds called static. But eventually we heard actual voices, and it didn't matter what they were saying, because all we were interested in was where these voices were coming from. 
Omaha was a pretty good uh, accomplishment, but if we could bring in faraway places like Shreveport, well, that was a real triumph. Eventually, we discovered that there were such things as radio programs, and they were not bad. There were soap operas and Seth Parker on Sunday nights and funny shows like Colonel Stoopnagel and Bud, The Three Doctors, Sisters of the Skillet, Vic and Sade, Sam and Henry, who later became Amos and Andy. But the show that really tickled us was Lum and Abner. It was a simple premise, just two old guys running a country store, that's all. Now, how could you make anything out of that? Well, Chet Locke and Tuffy Goff made something out of it that lasted for two decades. They used no jokes, no standard comedy routines, but effortlessly, at least on the surface, effortlessly they created an affectionate brand of Midwest American humor. It was unique, and that is what we fell in love with. I don't like to use the word rural because, well, Lum and Amner were rural characters. They were not hillbillies, not robes, not yokels, not hayseeds, no overalls for them. They were strictly downtown Pine Ridge, flesh and blood people who lived a full life within their own world. And the center of that world, that universe, was Pine Ridge. This concept of the universe is best exemplified by the Arkansas fellow who ventured to New York City and when he got home, his fellow cronies gathered at the barber shop to hear the wondrous details of that trip. Well, sir, he said, that is the outcappinous one place that man ever set eyes on. They got trains that run through holes down under the town, scare a body half to death. And they got buildings that go up so high that, uh, well, if you used to get clean up on top and spit, it'd take two days for that dad blame thing to hit the sidewalk. Oh, you just wouldn't believe that damn pigeon-toed place there. But I'll tell you this, it'll never go, never go, why not? Because it's just too darn far away. In those days when I was still in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, listening nightly to the magic of Lum and Abner, little did I dream that in not too many years hence I would be in Hollywood writing those daily scripts for Lum and Abner. It was a chore that was to last for nearly a decade, and right from the beginning, it was for me a labor of love. During my first weeks, my job was mainly to provide story ideas and situations upon which to base their scripts. I can still see them at work in their small office at Columbia Square in Hollywood. Chet sat at the typewriter while Tuffy sat behind him looking over his shoulder. I listened attentively as a wealth of dialogue flowed forth from Tuffy's fertile brain while Chet expertly edited this material as he transcribed it to paper. In those few weeks, I absorbed all They were busy making movies. I said yes, and that was it. They never went back to script writing as a steady thing. The arrangement worked well for both of us, but one thing bothered Tuffy. He didn't think it looked dignified for me to walk into this broadcasting studio with a script stuffed into my coat pocket. He said he never saw the Jack Benny writers doing that. So that Christmas, he and Chet gave me a fine leather case in which to carry the script. Well, the day after Christmas, I proudly walked into the studio with my fine new case, and I could see that Tuffy felt better now. Grandly, I placed the case on their broadcasting table, unsnapped the shiny fasteners, opened the case, and no script. <laughs> I had done everything right except put the script in the case. 
Luckily, I have an alert, cool-headed wife. Shortly after I had left that day, she discovered what I had forgotten. So she took off her curlers, threw on a coat, leaped into the car, and delivered the script barely in time for them to go on the air. Later, Tuffy called me aside and said, Look, Roz, maybe you better forget the case. But whatever you do, hang on to that wife of yours. We need her. <laughs> well, those crazy, fondly remembered days are gone now, and sadly, so are Lum and Abner. But what they have wrought need not fade away. In fact, there is across our land right now a revival of the spirit of Lum and Abner. There is a movement abroad to preserve for both current and future generations that unique bit of Americana which they represent. The spark that has kindled this new flame is the National Lum and Abner Society. I commend its founders and officers, Tim Hollis, Donnie Pitchford, Sam Brown, and Rex Riffle for their vision and their dedication. We can all be grateful to these fine gentlemen for having taken this first important step. Thank you and applause for them. And now, let's see what's going on down in Pine Ridge. Well, as we look in on the little store today, the two old fellows, Lum and Abner, are once again having financial difficulties. Let's listen. Lum, if we don't get $350 for our taxes, we're going to lose a store. Yeah, surely there's somebody who ain't got enough sense but to loan us that kind of money. Hello, hello. Well, Ben Withers, we was just talking about you. How's that, Abner? I said we... Fine. Uh, <laughs> ben, I'm going to be frank with you. Ben, we need $350. Quick. Lum, the only man I know with that kind of money is Volmer K. Sutter of Mount Ida, a millionaire banker worth several thousand dollars. Well, uh, do you reckon he'd actually lend me some money? Um, no. Huh? You're an unmarried bachelor, Lum, and Volmer K. Sutter will only do business with settled-down, happy family men. He distrusts bachelors. But why? Fine. Volmer K. Sutter had a rather unfortunate experience with a bachelor once. The bachelor ran away with his wife. Oh, that's a shame. He brought her back in two weeks. M Mr. Sutter has never trusted a bachelor since. Well, I don't blame him. Well, uh, Abner's a tied-down, uh, that is, settled-down family man. Maybe he can get the loan. Well, why don't I jump on the long-distance phone and ask him? If you think you can get the money from him, call him. Mr. Sutter firmly believes in the vine-covered cottage, the family circle, easy slippers, smoking jacket, pipe-in-mouth, faithful dog, hello, Mamie, oops, hello, Mamie. I'd like to uh, rush a call through to Mount Idy. Orrin J. Watford. You'll find him at the Ace High Snooker Palace. I thought you was calling Mr. Sutter. Oh, I don't know Mr. Sutter. Huh? Hello? Ace High Snooker Palace? Orrin? Guess who this is? <laughs> he thinks I'm Russell Fillmore. <laughs> try, try again, Orrin. Just tell him who you are and get a hold of Mr. Sutter. No, <laughs> this is Ben Withers. Yes. Sure, I'll wait. What's the matter now, Ben? He wants to make another shot. He doesn't want to hold up the game. Oh, for pity's sakes. Nice fellow, Orrin. <clears throat> Wears his vest inside out to break himself of the cigar habit. Hello, Orrin. How's that? Side pocket, huh? 
man, this is costing us money. Orrin, I, I wonder if you would run across the street to the bank and ask your millionaire brother-in-law if he'll lend $350 to a needy friend of mine here in Pine Ridge. Do you have to say needy? You better make that seedy. How's that, Orrin? Will my stars put him on? <laughs> what do you know about that, Lum? Ralph Conway's there. I... I don't care who's there. Just find out about the money. Ralph wants to say hello to me. Ralph? Hello to you. Okay, Ralph. He's putting Orrin back on. Ask about the money. That's the first time I've talked to Ralph in seven years. Sure good to hear his voice again. Hello? Who's this? Charlie? Oh, my goodness. Why, certainly, Charlie. I'd love to talk to him. Now, hold on, Ben. This has went too far. That Charlie thinks of everything. Hello, sir. Happy birthday, sir. Just a moment, sir. Here, Lum, you talk to him. Oh, I don't know what to say to him. Just say happy birthday. Oh, grannies, this is silly. Hello, sir. Happy birthday, sir. I said happy birthday. Hap I said happy birthday. Here, Ben, take this receiver and get Orrin back on. How'd you like that fellow's voice, Lum? Couldn't hardly hear him. Who was he? I don't know. <laughs> Some fella hanging around the pool hall. Charlie says he's 93 years old today and has never talked long distance before. This was Charlie's birthday present to him. Charlie's? Who's paying for this call? Hello? Who's this? Ed? Oh, me. Well, that's just fine, Ed. Say hello to Bessie and Clyde. Ed, goodbye. Well, you're in luck, Lum. In luck? Orrin told Ed to tell me to tell you... I don't want to hear he it. ...that he contacted Mr. Sutter over at the bank, and Mr. Sutter will be in Pine Ridge this afternoon to discuss the loan. He, he will? But I thought you... When did you find that out? Yes. Well... <laughs> Ben, why didn't you tell me this before? How could I? You kept butting in on the conversation. <laughs> Mr. Clarence Hartzell. Mr. Whoa, howdy, Mr. Dick. Howdy, Mr. Spud. Yeah, go on, Lodge. Get those groceries and get back to the restaurant. What do you mean stalling around here when you got a business to take care of? Well, that sounds like Spud coming now. Yeah, yeah. Well, howdy, Spud. I'm proud to see you. Howdy, Dick. <laughs> Hello, you two. So the minute I leave town, you get yourself into trouble. It weren't our fault, Spud. We didn't do nothing. I know, I know. Dick's told me all about it. So lucky thing. I happen to be passing through this part of the country. You probably get set up for life. Are you going to tell the judge you wrote that note? Sure, I'll tell him. He can't convict you for something you didn't do. Well, he almost did. But what about you? You tell him you wrote the note, they'll convict you. Convict me? They can't convict a guy for writing a note. Yeah, but they can for robbing the post office. Who said I robbed the post office? Well, didn't you? No, of course I didn't. What do you think I am, nuts? That's a federal offense. Besides, they tell me that uh, there was over 1,200 bucks that uh, wasn't stolen. If I was going to rob a post office, <laughs> I'd take everything in sight. Well, if you didn't steal the money, where did you get it? Well, can't a guy have $200 of his own dough? I always keep a little extra in my grouch bag for a getaway dough. Huh. Never mind, Abner. 
You mean to say that money you left us wasn't stolen from the post office? Well, anybody that thinks so is screwy. I had that dough with me when I first met you guys. And when I saw how tough things were going with you, well, I just left it for you. I've been broke before. I swan to goodness this is the most mixed-up thing I ever heard of. I think we ought to sit down and discuss this quietly. We can't figure this house down out here in the hallway. Well, we can't get out of here, Dick. The door's locked. Well, we'll get it open. And, uh, we'll come in. Hey, uh, turnkey! Yeah! Come here. Open the door to this cell. We want to go in and talk to these fellas. Yeah? Who are you? Never mind who I am. Open this door. Hey, uh, aren't you Spud Gandal? What if I am? You're the fella everybody's been looking for. Huh? You're accused of robbing the post office at Cherry Hill. Hey, let go of me. You're nuts. I'm afraid you'll have to... I'll have to place you under arrest. Well, I ain't Wait. done nothing. Yeah, tell that to the judge. Wait a minute there. You can't arrest him. No. Yeah, I can, huh? You better keep out of this. Come on. In you go. Hey, now, wait, you can't do this to me. I came down here to talk to these two old guys. Well, you can talk to them from in here. They're only across the hall. I'll go see if Mr. Norton can't straighten this out. Well, I'll be dead plain. If that don't beat the bugs of fighting. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for the use of the hall. <laughs> this is the Frigidaire commercial from October 13th, 1948. And it's supposed to start off with the sound effect of a door opening and closing, which go ahead and open and close the door. Oh, right. Very good. <laughs> Hello, hello. Is anybody here? Oh, uh, yes, Mum. <laughs> uh, I don't believe that we've met. Oh, sure we did. Oh, we just said hello. I mean, I, I don't think I got your name. Oh, it's Cedric. Cedric. Well, that's good to know you, Cedric. My name is Niles. Wendell Niles. I'm with Frigidaire. Well, uh, I'm Cedric Weehunt. I'm alone. <laughs> where is everybody? Uh, where, uh, where are Mr. Edwards and Mr. Peabody? Oh, uh, Mr. Lums broke his leg. Oh, I'm sorry to hear about that. I'll, I'll have to go over there and see him. Uh, uh, you minding the store for him? Yes, right? Mom. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm sure you won't have any trouble. You certainly won't have any trouble with Frigidaire. Oh, I don't know about that. Mr. Lum says Frigidaire's walk right out of the store. <laughs> That's about right. Uh, more Frigidaire's are being bought today than ever before because everyone knows Frigidaire is America's number one refrigerator. It just stands to reason that with more Frigidaires in use than any other make, there's more talk about them, and and uh, you know what people are saying, don't you? Oh, uh, you mean about Mr. Lum being so clumsy? No, no, I mean, I mean that people are saying that the new Frigidaire is the most convenient, easy-to-use beauty they ever saw. And what's more, they say that a Frigidaire refrigerator is one of the best money savers in town. Do you know the meter miser? Oh, uh, no, Mum, but I know Squire Skim. <laughs> Only Frigidaire has the meter miser, you know, the simplest cold maker ever built. It's so powerful, it can keep even the biggest Frigidaire refrigerators filled with cold even in the hottest weather. Yes, it's so simple that it cuts current costs to the bone. Now, just remember the meter miser when anyone mentions refrigerators, because the first thing a refrigerator must do is to make all the cold you need when you want it. Yes, sir, it's good to remember that only a Frigidaire has the meter miser. Now, young man, is there uh, anything I can do for you? Oh, uh, yes, Mom. Uh, what is it? Uh, let go of my coat. I'm already on your side. <laughs> That's the commercial. Oh, you look great. Doggy, Andrew, how are you, you look there, wonderful. 
Uh, here, brother, post him. Have a cup of Jimmy. Uh, what? Uh, no, I mean, no. Uh, uh, Alum, what I think you need is, is a dose of Miles Nervine. <laughs> well, you might be right, brother Jimmy. There it is right there. Yes, sir. Let me see that. It, that's Ooh. the stuff. I remember. I ain't hardly got no water to drink. I guess I could drink this malted milk. <laughs> but I tell you, brother Jimmy, I'm just so excited to see you. You know, you were just almost like a our own little kid of a boy. Just look at you over there in that old. Oh, my look, at there, look at that. Look at that, that picture there. Little you know, fella, ain't he cute? You know, you fellas amaze me. I left here a boy and came back an adult, and you guys haven't changed at all. Well, I wouldn't say that. Well, I, I just look at this picture. Look at that. That picture was taken 50 years ago. You guys haven't changed a bit. 50 years ago? That's my now how old I am. Ever. Now, you guys haven't changed a bit. And would you believe... That I still have one of those apples. It has an aged either. Well, I do go. Ask your little Of course, uh, the worm did die. Oh. Well. Well, I wouldn't. Oh, look at who's coming up. Oh, Ulysses no. S. Quincy. Howdy there, Ulysses. You get that barn painted, Ulysses? Okay. I seen you carrying your brush with you there. Okay. We got some mighty fine red right, barn paint right there. How you doing, Ulysses? Okay. Let me introduce you to our new preacher. This is Brother Jimmy. He okay. come home. It's good to meet you, Mr. Quincy. Good yes, to meet sir. you. It's been 50 years since I've seen you. Okay. 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 Uh, yes, sir. Oh, yes. Oh, Ulysses. Did you stop in on Ben Withers like I asked you to? Okay. Well, good. Did you invite him to come over to the sociable for Brother Jimmy? Okay. What old Ben have to say? Fine. Fine? <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right, that's good. good you you Thank you. Thank you. How about it, friends? Have you been jumpy, nervous, or irritable lately? Do life's little annoyances upset you like never before? Perhaps you are like Jerry Hausner. Once a pleasant, friendly fellow, Jerry suddenly became a grouch. Hey, you kids! Get out of my yard! You hear me? Get out of here! You no-good bunch of brats! You nincompoops! What do you think this is, a playground? Of course it's not a playground. Can't you read the sign? Stay out! All I want you to stay out! Well... Jerry's doctor told him he was troubled by nerves, coffee nerves. Tired of being called the curmudgeon of Encino, Jerry switched to Postum. You see, friends, Postum has no caffeine, no stimulus. And there's a little bit of the Lemon Avenue Convention over the last history of that fine organization. And Gary Housen, who made a career of baby cries and baby gurgles on radio, he went down there with a special guest of theirs many, many moons ago. Hello, Patricia. Hello, Walden. Hi. How you doing, lovable? We're doing great, adorable. We um, are open to calls. Give us a call at 714-545-2071. With the family. It's so nice to be back. Are you always with me? Yeah, but. But. You know. Yeah, I know. You know? Yeah, I know. Okay. Yeah. Oh, you're good? Oh, you are too. People can break that code by buying their Captain Midnight decoder badge anytime. Hey, somebody did? Hello, you're on the air. Well, now that you all know, I mean, let's either you know or you don't. That's true. But do, no, do you know? Well, I, I'm deciding whether I know. Of course, you know, you guys talked about one of my favorite shows. Oh, really? Oh, I love that show, too. 
Actually, I don't. <laughs> oh, are you serious? You don't like Lumen Abner? I'm not much of a Lumen Abner fan. But after the interview, I have a little different take on on uh, Lumen Abner. And uh, I may try to listen to it again. Because you sent me a whole bunch of Lumen Abner's. <laughs> Okay. A friend of mine from Arizona, and so I'm going to see if I can have a little different take on <laughs> on Lumen after. Um, that was a very, very, very good interview. He so. is such a wonderful guest, and he knows. Yeah, that. and he seems like a real nice guy. Uh huh. Uh huh. Just the kind of guy you'd like to sit down and have a cup of coffee with. Yeah. Even a one school teacher to help. Hmm. He'd be a what? A what? He, was, he was a high school teacher. He taught broadcasting and broadcasting. So if you wanted to learn how to do radio, TV, you were part of a class. Yeah, he'd be a fun. Yeah, I, yeah. I would enjoy yeah. I didn't enjoy many of my high school teachers, but he would be one that I kind of would like to have. <laughs> I agree. I'd, I'd go to his class, then I would go to our Miss Brooks class, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> did, you, did you hear Gloria last night? And recess, hmm? You, know, you I, I missed that. You I, missed out? I, I, I had Gloria McMillan as a surprise guest for 45 minutes last night. Oh. I, I missed, I had to, I had to, <laughs> I, oh, oh yeah. my gosh. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I surprised Tommy Cook. I did not tell Tommy that I was going to have a surprise guest. Well, you know, I called Gloria 25 minutes before showtime saying, will you come on? And he said, of course. Yeah. That's, that's what you help. You know, Walden, you, you have a way of really making me so envious. <laughs> have a way of what? I miss that. Making me so envious and a little jealous, you know, because yeah. you've got this charming uh, way of getting all these girls to get come for interviews. Uh-huh. Beverly Washburn. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. Brian McMillan, uh-huh. Janet Waldo, Shirley Mitchell. Uh-huh. Oh, gosh. And adorable. That's right. And Patricia. Patricia, yeah, Patricia's my steady. At least I know where she's at. I'm a steady girl. Patricia, <laughs> did you receive re- my email asking you if you have a whole bunch of people are funny? Yeah, and I did reply. I replied earlier tonight and said, I do have people are funny. Oh, you do have, okay. Yeah, if you would be on the lookout when people mention detectives to you, especially unusual ones, I love detective shows. Okay. How about the Whisperer? I have that, and I hate him. <laughs> oh. Um. Yeah. In a way, I don't think you, but it's very. It's kind of intriguing, though. An intriguing um, show, but yeah. I can't yeah. listen <laughs> to the Whisperer. It, it's very hard for me have to you, listen to. Well, now, Patricia, I have a yes. nomination of a detective show that is very offbeat. That is not in circulation. How offbeat is offbeat? Well, it, I think it's strictly only a local show. Yeah? And for years, it used to run on KNX as part of a syndication package. So that's how come uh, people in L.A. found And we asked, who played these characters? What, what was it? What was the show? Stand By for Crime. I never heard that. Yeah. I think I ever heard of that either. So maybe the, I'm nominated. If you're looking for a detective show. Yeah. There's one to go look for. Uh, okay. Stand by for crime. Uh-huh. Stand by for crime. It sounds interesting. Was it a good show? It was a great show. It was a great show. It didn't show. go farther than out I, there. Uh-huh. 
Embedded in a whisper, huh? How come it stayed local? I don't know. I don't know. But and were there, were there familiar actors nope. in, in that production? No, because it used to be articles written in the Spurvax. Do anybody know who the, the voices are? I mean, even the true old-time radio experts had no clue. But it was a favorite show. Ah, interesting. So, there's one for Patricia to go look for. Well, if nobody knows who it is, why would I know who it is? Who well, is it? I, I, no, but I'm just saying, look for the show. You might enjoy oh, the show. Oh, I thought you were going to give me a, a voice that you no. wanted me to recognize and nobody well, By the way, Patricia, when you were born, who was president of the United States? Um, it was a man. Oh, she's good! <laughs> well, we just... Okay. And I, I, can get, I can help you, Ron. I just can't... I can help you. Go ahead. It, it was not a member of the Whig Party. <laughs> Very good. I thought we could kind of trick Patricia too. Well, anyway. <laughs> it didn't work, so... I thought I'd pull a fast one, but I guess... Well, she's still faster than me, so... Yeah, you know what? I have to fess up here because we've got people all confused. I am not 79 years old. Please tell them I'm not 79 years old, okay? <laughs> you've, you've received some emails. I've, I've received several emails telling me I sound really good for 79. <laughs> my, my, well, I, I didn't tell. I had to kind of fess up to my wife and I, uh, because she said, you know, for 79, she's really got it together. <laughs> and, and, she, and finally, I, I because uh, I didn't let her want to continue on that road. And I said, well, to Balte, she's not really 79, you know. She's not. I said, no, she's not. Wait. She said, because I was really impressed, you know. Oh, now, see, maybe I shouldn't have fessed up. Maybe not. You should. <laughs> but it was funny. It was very funny. Awful lot of people believing that I am 79, including your friends. <laughs> oh, my friends, yeah. My friends, I don't tell them. I just let them, let them believe whatever. They're, they're, they're all impressed, you know, and stuff. I don't know how we got on it. On the, I forgot how we got the, the number uh, 78. You started it when you were huh? trying to get me to say something, and you said, well, you're 78, right? And I said, yes. Oh, that's how we got it. You said it. I didn't. I never fib. Okay, okay. What? <laughs> <laughs> you never fib? Well, I didn't say it. You did. You said you're 78, and I said, okay, we'll go with that. Okay, all right. Yeah. You started it. You started I started. would say, you started it, now you finish it. And, and, then, we got, and, then, and then we got this Pony Express thing going at this so fun. Huh? When he's on his way, I sent him extra because it was an extra big envelope. And then she asked me, what was the other thing that I asked you for? And then I didn't want to mention, this is your FBI. She had to look and she already had it in her envelope. I mean, Walden, I don't know about Patricia. 79. I had it already made for you, and I, I remembered having told you the week before your envelope is ready. I'll put this in your envelope with the others. And I thought, what's supposed to go in there? <laughs> and it was already in there. <laughs> she emailed me while and asked me, 
That was the other thing that you asked for. She came up with, was it the music of the 40s uh-huh. or something like that? Well, you sure said it with money, but, you know. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, then, uh, and then when I told her, oh, it was, this is your FBI, then she emailed me again saying, you know what, I, I, I look in the envelope and I had it in the envelope. <laughs> so, uh, she's acting, that time she acted like she was 79. Uh-huh. No, just, just a little adult, you know, I can get that way. I have two dozen standby for crime. See? In front of me. See, you might want to listen to that. Would you like it, John? How did you find it? I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> that's, as, that's as private as my age. You just found it? Yeah. You're, you're amazing. You're, you are great. She, she is adorable. There is no doubt about it. Well. We're blessed to have her. Well, I'm trying to figure if she'll tell me who, who was president when she was born. Maybe I might know whether she's. Well, we know it's not Calvin. We know it's not Calvin Coolidge. How do you know? Well, I've been with you. I know. <laughs> Calvin Coolidge. All right. Were you around uh, when Kennedy was president, though? Oh, see, he's getting good now. I know, he I know. No questions. I know. He's getting good. That's a trivia question. It's <laughs> a what? Trivia question. Trivia question. That's that's a trivia question. If I answer, you around, I get a prize. Of course, when you're when you're around, President Kennedy was, you know, around. Well, were you or weren't you? I'm not going to tell think, you. I think she should take the Fifth Amendment. Yeah, you know, she is really fast on her mind. I thought maybe the lateness of the hour might get her a little, um... Oh, I'm also here. If you got, if you call her first thing in the morning, you might have a chance. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, not at night. If you call me first thing in the morning, you certainly do have a chance. Yes. Of her slamming the phone in my ear because I woke her up? Oh, I, 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 if I heard it... If I knew it was you, I would probably pick it up. But you wouldn't call me early in the morning because it's the middle of the night for you. So I'm safe. Yeah, that's true, too. When it's early in the morning for me, it's late in the evening for me or whatever. Well, you know, it's been fun. No, seriously, you did a, you did a good job, Patricia, on it interview and uh, I'll, I'll play trivia with you come on let's go let's play some oh, trivia okay i've got some good trivia stuff hold on hold on hold on gee i don't have all my pages up toys for tots we don't want toys for tots we want christmas trivia and trivia trivia let's see christmas trivia want some christmas trivia go ahead all right where the heck is my trivia trivia oh there is my trivia trivia all right christmas trivia this is, um, which country, this is a rough one. This one is a really hard one, Ron. Which country did the gingerbread house originate? Oh, my gosh. You know, I thought you were going to ask him when, when Hawaii became a part of the Union, when did they first celebrate Christmas? What? Okay, I was just trying to see if Ron could catch on. You're so bad. Okay, I'll give you, I'll give you, let me write these out. That's a good question. When did the gingerbread house come? That is a good question. It's a very good question. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, I give up. All right. Uh, well, I'm going to give you three countries, and you tell me which country it was. All right. All right. Was it Switzerland, Austria, or Germany? Okay, multiple choice, right? Yeah. Switzerland, Austria, 
or, or Germany. Germany. Where did the gingerbread house originate? Let's say Switzerland. Uh, oh. Oh. You're down to 50 50. <laughs> Germany. Very good. All okay, right. you got 50. It was Germany? Yeah, it was Germany. Wow. You, you did good. That's interesting. That's, yeah. Well, that's great. Can I let you, how many whisperers do you have? Oh, I've got a bundle. Hold on. Let me see. Well, I'd have to plug them in. You keep talking for a minute, and I'll tell you how many I have. Okay, I'll, I'll talk for a minute. Uh, so, Alden, what did you talk to Gloria McMillan basically about? Well, basically, yeah. yesterday, was, um, I celebrated Tommy Cook's birthday, and so I pulled a surprise guest on him. So I called Gloria because, you know, they worked in radio together with little kids. So we talked. they talked about going to the Brown Derby, how much fun doing the Red Rider show together, uh, the stories about luxury or theater, uh, they're talking about the upcoming event that they're going to do together in November at Spurvac. You know, get, get kids that grew up together so many years ago that, you know, their parents, their moms were good best friends. So I, I thought it would be a surprise for Tommy to call, quickly call Gloria and have her as a surprise guest. Wow. So that's what we did. Very good. You know, I, I missed it. I had a wedding that I had to play for yesterday and, um, up in and, um, a, a reception uh -huh. and stuff, so I wasn't around. You weren't around. Oh. I miss it because I, I, I tell you, I mean, I'm amazed that, you know, as they they still sound so good. Yeah, they do. Uh, for they their do. age and stuff, I mean. Yeah, and we know, and we know that they're, they're, they're such young puppies, you know. They really got it together. Oh, I know. And that's, that's, that's really something. And, and especially the ones that are still up on stage and they just, they can just still knock it out of the park when they, when we do a recreation. When Shirley Mitchell, who's going to be 91, can still do a Leela Ransom, you know. Leela. you know. Rock Mountain. <laughs> she has it down pat. And then, you know, and then I spent the afternoon with Norman Corwin at 101 talking about... How's he, how's he doing? He today worked really well. He lost his brother in April, which was hard for him. His brother was one month short of 108. So, Norman, you know, he... Their dad lived to 110. And so, losing his brother was very hard for him. And so, he was, you know, he was down in the dumps. But we signed a deal that for a new project for him to produce uh, starting sometime next year. So he has to get the radio show together and put them together. But he's looking forward to taking on a new project at 101. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So I'm very happy about that. Good. And so guess, Patricia, how many whispers do you got? Well, I have to find the CD first, but it's a lot. Do you want them? Yeah, I'll, I'll take... Oh, yeah, I'll take the whispers. Whisper. And, and then... Um, I, I, I still owe you the Victory Day thing, and um, there are six of those, so I'll send that. I'll put it in the next package, which will be going out sometime Yeah, give the week. pony a rest, though, okay? What you said again? Give the pony <laughs> a rest. Let him have a rest. Give a... The pony, let him rest. 
Oh, the pony. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's fun. It's fun. Um, yeah. A pony back and forth. You know, I, 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 I can just imagine a pony trying to swim across the ocean from LA to Honolulu. I mean, that's yeah. His oats will get wet, but <laughs> hungry. And then you know, and then Patricia, you listen to those uh, some of those programs that Walden just said. The one you said you found. 24 of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let me know how you like them, and if it's so good, then maybe you can send me that, but then see how you like it. Well, you recognize. Good. Okay, when was it on the air, Walden? I mean, what what years? If I had to guess, late 40s. Okay. Um, Yeah. It it, it got a newspaper crime angle. It says 53 on this one. That's probably about right. 19. Oh, I've heard this before. Yeah. Oh, boy, he's fooling us. I heard it before, Ron. Good. They're good shows. Yeah. yeah. They're good shows. Good. Yeah. I, I will well, send some to you. Yeah, download them to you on your whatever. You know, um, I, I'm impressed because I never heard those stories before, you know, and... Uh, so that, that's, that's quite interesting. Hey, maybe, but maybe, with, well, you know, I think Patricia, maybe, uh, maybe wants Tales of Fatima. You know, that's one of the great, the great detective shows. Yeah, I heard of those. Yeah. yeah. I only have one. I know. And there is a second one out there, and I haven't found it yet. Yeah, Tales of Fatima or something. Yeah. Yeah, cla- it's one of the best shows Ra- Basil Rathbone ever did, you know. Well, oh. I just want to, I'll, I'll, I'll skip out of here because I'm, I want to give other people a chance to. What do you think of Harry Lime, Patricia? Uh, say that again, please. What did you think of Harry Lime? Harry Lyme, mm-hmm. I'm not fond of it at all. Uh-huh. Me too. The third man? Uh-huh. Yeah, very well done. Um, you know, it's it's hard for me sometimes to listen to Orson Welles. I know that I sound like a heretic. <laughs> but there are times when his delivery mm-hmm. is so pressured and so fast that he runs out of breath. And I, it, it just, it's just hard for me to listen to. And it's the perfect voice for other people's ears. No, what about the Black Museum? The Black Museum. Now, hey, Black Museum was quite interesting. It was, was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought they were better than uh, Third Man or whatever, Harry Lines. Yeah, that was good. And but the Black Museum had reality at the root, and I think that made a difference. Harry Lime was totally fiction, and the Black Museum was not. Yeah, I didn't think too much of the Black Museum. I I think Harry Lime's, I, I like that series better. It's extremely well done. Yeah. Well, okay, I think both of the... Both, extremely well done. Both for the BBC, well, yeah. Yeah. But I, I still rather the Black Museum. I mean, Black Museum. Well, anyway, you guys, keep it up. All right. You sound good together. The we interview did. was great, and I will... Uh, Tomorrow, listen to some Love and Abner and see if I can get myself in tune with Love and Abner. <laughs> but I really enjoyed that that interview. Yeah, stay with it for just a couple of shows, and I think it might catch on. Oh. You like yeah. Vic, you, what, what do you think of Vic and Sade, Ron? Um, you know, if you, initially, I, I didn't really like it. But uh-huh. as I listened to it some more, it wasn't too bad. Uh-huh. Why, yeah. do you like Pick and Save? Well, I think one of those I have to grow, uh, I haven't heard enough to form a steady opinion. I mean, I enjoy listening to it, but it's not one of the ones I run all the time. As a yeah. in Chicago loves that show, That's and true. he says 
you have to listen to it and stay with it for a bit before. Yeah, that's it. You got to. That's why I'm thinking uh, until the same. you start joining the family. That's why I'm thinking the woman Abner and Vicky say might be the same type of taste. I think. You know, one quick sure. question: the couple next door. Yes. And Ethel and Albert. Yes. There was two different shows. Same show, two different titles. Yeah. Two different titles, right? Right. Ethel and Albert had live audience. They're half-hour shows, right? Well, it, it started out as, as a 15-minute, well, it was local, then when it went national, it was still 15 minutes until the half-hour, which I think came from the TV show. Oh, okay. That's how And then they went back, and then when she decided to go, uh, go back to CBS, I don't think she could use the name Ethel and Albert for a while. So that's when she went with the title Couple Next Door. You know, she must be a genius because she wrote the script, yep. right? She did, she's written over 10,000 scripts. And she is still funny today. She's performing back in New Jersey, doing the characters at age 95. I know, she's a genius. She's a genius. She is a remarkable, remarkable person. Now, uh, one last question, and I, I gotta go, because I want to make sure I give other people a chance to, to talk to Patricia. I know. And that is Patricia. Um, tell me, how did you like it when, um, um, <laughs> President Eisenhower was president? What did you like about him? His picture is on one of our coins, right? <laughs> Isn't it? Did you get to meet him personally? Or? Oh, no. Never met How old were, how never old met were you when he was president? either, or Harry Truman. I didn't meet any of them. Yeah. But does it, isn't Eisenhower on a 50 cent piece? I don't know. I don't think so. You don't well, think so? Uh-uh. But did your mother ever take you to Washington to, to get close to President Eisenhower? No. I never went to Washington. You never went to Washington? Uh-uh. Okay. Well, Warren, we still don't know, do we? Well, yeah. <laughs> well, well, you know, it's it, it, the old saying, I think it's true, in the Melcon 34th, Street when they asked Chris Kringle to fill out his eggs and he and he had a great reply. I'm as old as my tongue and a little older than my teeth. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> Patricia, you're amazing. You you really are. You really listen well. You just don't get caught off guard too often, do you? Not very often. Eisenhower is on a one dollar coin, not a. Okay. All right. How do you know? You just looked at it? Just looked it up, yeah. Look it up? Okay. All right. We'll talk to you guys later. Um, and I'll find out from President... Um, let's see. Which president is still alive? Um, find well, out from the oldest now is Carter. Clinton and Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter's the oldest now. Because, you know, we lost Betty Ford yesterday. I was just thinking... Oh, no. Did we? Yeah. Yeah, she it was it, famous for the Betty Ford Center. Yeah, yeah, uh, she and they were saying uh, she was the same age as, as Jill when they pa both passed away at age ninety-three. Mm. And they had a thousand people go through the uh, the library here the past twenty-four hours. Oh, that makes me so sad. Yeah, she was quite a special lady. Wasn't Very much so. Cause they played clips of her uh, of her some of her speeches, and they really showed credit her being the first outspoken first lady. All right, I'm going to run. All right, yeah. come on. Take yeah. care. I'll say aloha to all of you and look forward to the whisperer. The uh, whisperer. Hey, okay. I'll be there. <laughs> aloha. Aloha. So, let's see here. So, 
Yep, so now we have the Carters. So now the oldest family, first, uh, President Carter and his wife. And then we have Nancy Reagan, of course. And then everybody else is intact from the Bush, the Clinton, the Bush, and the Barack Obama family. So so we have uh, five still presidents and six first ladies with us. But, uh. We're very lucky. Yeah. Yeah, for many years, you know, we only used to, sometimes look back at history, because occasionally we would look at this. We had maybe four living presidents at one time. But in the last ten years or so, we, we got up to a pretty good number. But, uh, 714-545-2071. Give us a call. In other countries, they either stay in power until they die or they get killed. Yeah. Nobody, nobody has... A nice collection of former leaders. Nobody does. We do. We do. We do, we do. We do, okay. we do. I have a theme for tonight. What is the theme? I'm, I'm just making messes here. See what I made me do. I love me, me, do, 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 do. Oh my goodness. See what I made me do. I have a theme, and I thought it would be really nifty if we had Christmas trees. Beautiful. Christmas trees. Do we get yeah, to have, do we get to pick, do we get to, do we get to pick out the color? Well, you can pick any color you want. Oh, okay. Um, Christmas tree story. Good. About childhood, grown-uphood, mm -hmm. I don't care. A Christmas tree story, funny thing that happened, special decorations, just anything at all that has to do with a Christmas tree. Pretty cool. Perfect. 714-545-2071. Dance is still awake. Give it a call. Hope you're still making it through the weekend, helping all the Civil War battles. Beating all those soldiers. Yeah, poor Dan. Yeah. He is just coming off the weekend. Dan, if you're still listening, maybe you could give us a call and let us know how the reenactment went. I think it's happening this weekend, so I'm surprised huh? he was still up. That's what he said earlier yeah. when he called in with his question. Yeah. Um, that they had just finished it, and he, he must be pooped. <laughs> I bet he is. I can't imagine going through uh, the, the coordination of something on that magnitude. Oh, oh, oh. 714-545-2071. We're here. So, Love to take your call. Well, we have a Christmas theme. Yes. And I have shows this week to offer. Shows? Yeah. Radio shows? In exchange for correct answers. Oh. Trivia questions. I've got some not-so-easy Christmas questions, and I've got regular trivia questions, and if you give up, I'm going to make you answer anything anyway. <laughs> well, there. Okay, um, last week I said I've got Family Doctor and Grand Ole Opry and Big Band Remotes and Authors Playhouse. This week I have Grantland Rice. Are you familiar with Grantland Rice? Yes, I am. He's the uh, famous sport, sport, uh, news, uh, sports writer. Huh? Uh, who, well, I'll show you a famous trivia question after this call about Grantland oh, Rice. Oh, poo. Hello there, Carl. You're on the air. You just saved Patricia. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I don't think you sound anywhere near even 70. Oh, so much. Who am I talking with, bless your heart? I'm Chuck from Schenectady. Hi, Chuck. How are you? We haven't heard from you for a bit. No, I, I, I tuned in a couple times and your show wasn't on. I didn't. Wong was away doing a convention or something, so you can, oh. that's what happened. Oh. It's his fault. Yeah, I my fault. I am innocent, Chuck. Yeah. I am innocent. Yeah. She was yeah. faithful. She was faithful. I was here. I, I, was, I just went out to play. Yeah, I listen to you on a Wi-Fi radio, and I uh, 
and I, I thought maybe I punched in the wrong button and it got the wrong channel or something. And I, and I listened for a long time, and it was a different guy. And I, I uh, found out it was your show wasn't on. It was not. He did. Uh, Walden went to one of the conventions, the largest convention that we have. Reps the that in Arizona. In in Seattle. In Seattle. Uh huh. And so he ran away from home, and we had no show. So you were fine. We weren't. Boy, Seattle's about as far away as you can go. For you. Oh yeah, that's about three thousand over three thousand miles. I think between, between Schenectady and Seattle, it is not walking distance. No, I couldn't walk there in a lifetime. <laughs> I think, I don't, and nobody will pick up hitchhikers. We're doomed. Not even if I could grow as old as you, Patricia. Oh, oh Chuck, I know it's just. And you were that that old. Yeah, I know, but you know he keeps. Oh, you before you sounded like a young young, young girl. I. Um, I don't know. Uh, what, what do you think? How, what does she sound like? I think she's maybe a week older than Jack Benny. <laughs> Very good. I love it. Oh, you are so good. <laughs> oh, you get two points for that. You might even about get that. it. I don't know about all that, but um, I, I like talking to you. But, you know, I don't call a lot. I listen all the time on every Saturday, but I... Uh, He was the fastest uh, comedian with with good comebacks that I could even. I I, I believe he he beat Arthur Godfrey. He beat, he beat all these uh, fast comedians, but he I thought he was great. I agree. I agree. I have a Groucho question for you. you do. Are you ready? You know he also had. He's not ready. <laughs> I, I believe he had six brothers. One died. One passed away. Right. Uh, at a very young age. Right, and the other five were all in show business. Yeah, and all of them played instruments. Mm-hmm. Uh, Groucho, in fact, played a couple instruments, and piano and guitar, I believe. And um, and Harpo played all kinds of instruments. What did he play besides the harp? Oh, I don't remember what my wife read to me now. Um, but almost every instrument you could imagine he played. Uh, I... I um, I play guitar and harmonica and bass and uh, saxophone myself, but you know he was more, way more talented than than even Groucho. But he uh, he couldn't uh, get get the fast comebacks like he could. Groucho was the best. Nobody could match him. I agree. I'm on your team. I think you are right. But I have it online that he died with a half of a peanut butter sandwich in front of him, and uh-huh. and he was in a wheelchair. Aww. Oh, my. He was in a, I believe, in a nursing home. You know what's a fun story about Groucho? Um, when he used to have dinner parties, um, he would excuse himself because he wanted to go and watch his own TV show. <gasps> he watched his own show? Uh-huh. Unusual. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. This is not a majority. I have not come across interviews with performers who listen to or watch their own shows right, but, as a matter of routine. But Groucho did. Isn't that remarkable? Yeah, that's why it was so funny. So he would excuse himself from the party to go and, and watch it. Well, at so. least he excused himself. Yeah. My wife was just telling me how uh, how uh, she just enjoys the new uh, Price is Right because uh, the uh, the old uh, Price is Right um, 
Bob Barker. Yeah, Bob Barker mm-hmm. uh, became kind of um, stale mm-hmm. after he started getting older, and um, she she said they needed a new face, and and now they got it, and she said he's doing really well. I, first time I heard it because I've been home for this week for the first time on um, shutdown for my company, so we had a week shutdown, and now uh-huh. I have to go back to work on Monday. Oh dear! <laughs> um, after a week off, you need a week off to recover. Uh, nevertheless, I never get to hear prices right, but um, since uh, Bob Barker was on, and you I, know I, how you, it. I, I bet you guys would find it interesting how that t- show works. How it works? Yeah, you, you know how you can become a contestant on the show. No, I don't know that. Patricia, do you know? I never know. Here's the routine, everybody. Is it really worth doing it? You're supposed to get in line at four in the morning. Forget it. And you get. It will me out. You get. You get to put your name in the drawing, and then they draw the hat, you take a break, and you come back at 9 o'clock, and then that's where they announce who gets to be the contestants. Well, that doesn't sound too awful. Then, then that, you know, the, the row. Then, then you're supposed to be there all day, because they record three shows one day and two the other. Oh. So that's pretty much the routine. Okay. You yeah. more or less have to be in that area. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, since I didn't want to go anyway... <laughs> you didn't want to win a new refrigerator? No, I don't want to bid on a new refrigerator. Aww. I want to stay home. Okay. Chuck, I'm I'm working very hard to give you a Groucho Marx question. Give me a, yeah, a simple question. No, I don't care if it's Groucho Marx, but... Well, Groucho Marx, it's a Groucho Marx question. George Fenneman was his announcer on the radio. Who was his television announcer? Oh, boy. No, I never saw it on TV. I never knew it was on. I never knew it was on TV. Take a guess. Um. Uh, no, I can't. I can't guess. No. George Fenneman was on radio. Who was on television? Uh, hmm. No. I'm. I'm. I, I'm at a loss. Okay. Should we tell him? Oh, I, I think we got. I think we can. I think we can. Both have seen it on TV. Uh, he wiped the announcer on TV. You're absolutely correct. I didn't even know he yeah. was on. See, I never saw him on TV. I, I I only heard him on the radio. Well, here's a trivia question for both of you. In 1947, they had a, a different announcer to do the commercial before George Fenneman did the MC part. Who was that announcer? Would you say that again, please? I'm okay. Sorry. You know, in 47, when they started the series. You know, for uh, the compact. What series? You bet your life. Oh, okay. They had a separate announcer do those those commercials in between the uh, the shows. Huh. Who was it? No idea. And still with it. He's still with us. <clears throat> Don't have a clue. And he was a he was a guest on Information, please. Everybody was a guest. Mason, please. <laughs> and he's best known to being the host, uh, being one of the reporters on 60 Minutes. Mike Wallace. Mike Wallace used to do oh, the, the used to do the You Bet Your Life commercials. Okay. That's all. Should we believe him? No. I don't know anything. You, I'm asking Chuck. Should we believe? <laughs> I guess you have to because I don't. I don't know. We can't argue with him. It's 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 really crummy. Okay. How are you on horse? Did the, 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 the uh. The last bit that they do on uh, 60 Minutes that with the comedian guy, with the uh, big guy, bushy eyebrows. 
Andy Rooney? Yeah. Yeah. You know, he lives about, uh, I would say, four, uh, 30 miles away from me. Ah, you know how he got his start? No, but he, I know he, he walks around the neighborhood yeah. and it's where he lives. Uh, you know, he, he you could see him walking up down the street sometimes. He was a writer for, right? for Arthur Godfrey. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Well, he's, he's a pretty funny guy. Very much so. Well, Chuck, I have a horse question for you. Okay. All right, we're into cowboys now. Which cowboy rode Trigger? Um, a Trigger? Um, <laughs> it's not Apollon Cassidy, I know that. That's good. No. Uh, Do you know what the name of Hopalong Cassidy's horse? No. No. See, I'm not good at these. Um, uh, You're a lot better than you think. You just... No, because I listen to the the um, shows because of the value of the comedy or whatever. But um, Happy trail to you. Oh, yeah. Gene Autry. Gene Autry's horse. Nope, he did not ride Trigger. Do you know who... Oh, yeah, but who's Gene Autry's horse? There you go. Who, yeah, who... who's Gene Autry's horse? <laughs> I thought it was Trigger. Oh? Oh, you're close. Who's the other famous cowboy star besides Gene Autry? Wait a minute. Um, Trigger was the guy that they had... Um, him and his wife were both on the show. Right. Very good. Right, yes. right. And, um... Keep going. And, um, he was Dale Evans, and he was... Roy Rogers. All right. Oh, I just knew you no. knew. <laughs> that's, a, that's an easy way to get an answer. <laughs> we have no, to He had that horse mounted. I mean, he had that horse uh, uh, stuffed. Yeah. I never knew that. Yep. Well, the kid didn't know for one year. Roy, Roy would not tell the kid Trigger was dead. He kept him quiet for a whole year before the kid found out. Yeah, I, I can believe that. I can believe that. Yeah. Oh, hey, Chuck. Oh, hope he didn't wait a year to stuff him. <laughs> yeah, right. Hey, Chuck. Yes. Um, I need your help. Yes, young lady. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'll send you anything you want. What can I send you? What radio shows would you like? What? what, what I didn't hear you. Which radio shows can I send you? Oh, I don't know. I, I like, um, I like the, um, tunes of the 40s. I like, uh, old, old advertisements, if you got any of them. Oh, I do so. I have loads of vintage advertising. Do you? Yep. I can, I can. That would be great. I love them. Okay. And you like 1940s music. Okay. I can do this. We're in great shape. I can send you... Old advertising. Well, to have to coax an answer out of me as easy, as hard of a person as I am uh, to answer. You got it. You you uh, you really kind of helped me a lot. Well, you got it. Yeah. I didn't tell you who it was. You got it. Well, you know, even though I don't call you all the time, I really enjoy both of you. I, I like to listen to your show. Well, that's so nice. Thank you so much for saying that, and thank you extra special for listening. I hope, uh, I hope you have a lot of listeners because, um... I think we do. Oh, uh, yeah, I bet you do because you, you, you go, um, you go all over the place. 
I know, I know we do, because I email Patricia when I decide to play hooky. So I know we do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I got a flood. <laughs> Where are you? And don't ever do this again. Well, thank you, Patricia. Now when I go back to work, I'll have something to look forward to. All right. Most welcome, and I will have them in the mail probably this week. All right. Okay, thank you, Chuck, and you have a great night. All right, you too, both of you. Good night, Chuck. Thanks. All right. You can call the First Lady of Yesterday USA, 714-545-2071. She brings class and culture, <laughs> and I press the buttons around here. Class and culture. Yeah. <laughs> You're too funny. Yeah. Well, we left off at Grantland Rice. I have got a slew of Grantland Rice sports stories, brand new this week, and they are half-hour shows. All right. Well... I can give you, here's the Grantland Rice trivia question. Mm-hmm. Um, sports writers of the, of the early days were known for style and uh, writing in poetry and being very creative with their description. What was he known for? Grantland Rice? Yes. I very should, famous. I should have listened to the whole show. A very famous, a famous very, very, very famous piece. Uh, that he wrote back in the 1920s about a football team. I do not know. He wrote it about the Notre Dame football team coached by Nuke Rockney. He was the one that coined the phrase, the four horsemen. He wrote about you know, the, the four horsemen in the uh, Book of Revelation and named the backfield for Notre Dame and, and wrote it in that style. I knew that. Yeah, so that's what he did. Passed. I looked at I looked up Grantland Rice this week. So that's what he that's what he's best known for. Oh, I failed my course. Uh, Read it. I didn't pass the test. Uh, okay. So anyway, this is this is my concession. I have an S word in my list of shows to offer. S S S. So in addition to everything else, we now have that means that means sweet. Right. <laughs> it means special. S means special. Sports, and if I say that word, I get hives. So this is how how much I'm giving to the show. But she knows her baseball, everybody. Just in case you don't know. Okay. So, I have a, I have a question for you, a baseball question for you. You too. do. Oh, we do. We have a Stump Walden question. But oh. I gotta give these away. I have also a big file of incredible but true which are four-minute shows right. that they use for fill-in um, and lots of incredible things, and they swear they're true, yep. and I haven't listened to very many of them. So we have FBI in Peace and War. Chandu yep. the Magician. Yes. That one's new. Uh-huh. And that's almost 200 shows. It is a biggie, yeah. So ran forever. Yes. I had no idea there were that many shows. How many hundreds of shows were there? Maybe 500? Well, I think available in the collection is uh, 200. I think it had two different big 15-minute runs. One in the 30s, one in the 40s. And I think we pretty much have the bulk of it from the 40s. Right. So. Well, I've got, uh, it's close to 200 shows. Maybe uh, maybe a little bit more than 200 shows. And I know that there are a lot more, but 200 shows mm-hmm. will keep you Chandu fans busy. And then we have, this is your FBI. And I have not offered... 
Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy recently, and they are no longer easy to find. But and I get just, I just discovered a new batch of them. Did you really? Yeah. Where did you find them? Um, Don't tell a, me. A private collector decided to sell his master tapes, and in there was pretty much the, the Edgar Bergen, Frank, uh, Edgar Bergen, Charlie McCarthy collection. Shoo-wee. Isn't that good? Yeah. I'm I'm really glad. I am too. One that got caught up in the in the mess of being yanked off. Uh, well, it found a new, it found a new, it's uh, I'm ha plus Amos and Andy. So, I'm having them trans transferred over to CD, so we'll be the proud home of them here. Hooray! Hooray for home! Hooray! In the meantime, I have some Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy to give away if you, in exchange, answer some questions. Who is, who is, who is, who is, I have a load of new Christmas stuff for for 2011. Uh, and what else? I have useless but fun stuff. No, I don't have any useless but fun stuff tonight. Well, yes, I do. I have fun stuff. You always got super stuff. Yeah. I have space shuttle stuff. Because... Because up in the air. On Friday, the last government-sponsored space shuttle launched out of Cape Canaveral, Florida. Do you remember how many, what, what number this one is in terms of the flight? Uh, uh, I do. This one did 28 flights. But I'm asking about the whole complete, all four of them. All four of what? You know, from the Challenger to the Columbia to... Uh, this discovery, all four of them, how many different flights? We have seven. One, two, three, four, five, six. We have six. Six shuttles. Uh-huh, but how many combined flights did it make in over 30 years? Well, I want you to name the six shuttles first. Columbia. Right. I remember that one, the Challenger. Right. Discovery. Right. Um... Daffy Goof, Goofy Donald, I think, but what? Goofy Donald Daffy, I think, but I I, I don't. All oh, right, okay. <laughs> no, <laughs> they were not. <laughs> this is interesting. I wonder how many people can I name. I thought off. there were only four. I didn't think there were six. There were six. Really? Yes. One that you didn't mention is now circulating. Oh well, out of sight, out of mind. I know. <laughs> let me let me think about the numbers of space flights. Um, I am going to say twenty-eight. I'm going to say one hundred and twenty-five. Nope, nope, nope. Don't do that. Don't do that. No. One hundred and forty-eight. More, more. How many? Two thirty-five. Two thirty-five. Yeah. A lot. One of them had only 28, I, and, you know, I'm, I'm trying to multiply this. We had six, but two of them exploded, yeah. so they were taken out of service. Yeah. But, uh, okay, who's going to call in and name the six satellite, the six shuttles we had in service, and as of yesterday, the last shot went up. So where are we going from this point on, everybody? From this point on, we are going to private sector. We're not going to Mars? We're not going to Mars. The private sector is going to... Are you serious? Listen to this. Yes.
company is called Virgin Galactic. <laughs> That's what they had on the on the cut line anyway. <laughs> okay. Perry 